Welcome to Facehammer. This show may contain naughty language and explicit content. You have been warned. Welcome to Facehammer, episode 11. And it's me, Russ the Face Veal, and I'm joined by Byron the Phoenix Ord, because he's risen from the ashes, and Les Liberator Martin, because he's all about the Stormcast Eternals at the moment. <laughs> so, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad. Cool. Ooh. Right, this show, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about new releases. Uh, we're going to talk about the Age of Sigmar book and, and what it is. It's a book. We know it's a book. Games Watch have told us it's a book. Um, <laughs> Isn't that all they told us, though? Yeah, pretty much. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about the Clash um, of Swords Age of Sigmar event now, not Warhammer event, and um, unless you think it's the same, it's not. Uh, spoiler. And then <laughs> we played a uh, sort of a game under it, didn't we? Or, well, I played a game. You, well, you played a you game. took your models off, but... Um, <laughs> Nothing changes. No, nothing. It doesn't matter what edition. Doesn't matter what type of game. So you haven't beat me at Infinity yet, either. No, fuck off. Fucking close. <laughs> you come close, but not close enough. Fuck you. <laughs> um, and then uh, we're also going to have a little bit on um, the point of view about Age of Sigmar Games Workshops changing attitude and um, um, current sort of treatment of retailers and Byron's experience of the Age of Sigma release, and also talk a little bit about background on Element Games and the other company, whatever, I don't know what it's called. Um, Steamforged. 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 There you go. And um, his some of his products and things and stuff. So, that's basically what we're going to do. Um, so, new releases, and before we get into the new releases that, um, that are new, we're going to talk a little bit about the combat gauge because uh, <laughs> it's um, it's had a bit of a had a bit of an impact. Um, it's sold out on Element Games. Yeah, um, and we Just also. Leave it at that. I'm not going to say how many. No, don't don't ruin it's it. Sold out fast. But basically, what so what Byron is basically saying is that if you want one, get your order in because that you know they're flying out and they are they <laughs> are only in popularity. If anything. Sixteen pound from you, I think. Yeah, bargain. That's actually almost doable. But for people who already bought it, and, and if you want a reason why you should buy it, you need to look at our Twitter feed and find a Bad Dice podcast tweet where Ben Curry is modelling the combat gauge for you. Um, sure. With his, yeah, with his rapey, hairy man nipples and like unshaven face. Um, and sexual. And it's a very face. sexual pose. It's, it's a bit... Um, I don't know that. What was that film with that bird on the bed with all the roses? And I'm going to ruin that. What was that? American Beauty. That's it. Yeah, it's yeah. very American Beauty, but more like Combat Gauge. Hideous I Beauty. <laughs> I mean, the, the way I see it is that how much do people pay for Armani accessories and bags and things like that? And for for sixteen pounds, you can just get that look instantly I, with a Combat Gauge. I think as a uh, as a repellent. Um, human, um, it will make you even more repellent to the opposite sex. Um, I wonder if Kara's soon-to-be wife knows that he's got. I think it's a little secret. I reckon he's going to wear that on his. Um, is it not? Is he? Is it soon-to-be? I thought he was married. 
No, I thought he was. I don't think he's married yet. I think he was a stag no. the week I saw on Twitter. I thought yeah, that was someone else. Recently. Oh, okay. Mm. Well, she's a lucky girl. I think the people commented. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's it. We also did get another picture of a guy modelling it, wearing his t-shirt, but it was, it wasn't quite as in, as quite an impact on my eyeballs. As... Is, is, is this your way of getting like war games to send you nudes, Russ? Is that what like this is? is I, like... I didn't ask for that. I just <laughs> what you're trying to say is the second it. picture. The second picture you've seen, you can forget. Whereas the first one you got from Ben... Well, the first one was the guy... um, What's his name? Uh, Simon Roberts, I think it is. Um, And he did look very fetching in his uh, Stormcast Eternal top, with his wristbands and his combat gauge. He was repping GW. He was definitely definitely looking pretty dapper, but nothing is going to beat the sort of the POV action shot of of Curry going to town on you. that, that, you just gotta have a look, really. Um. It's so bad. It's, I really lost my lunch, man. <laughs> you, that was, uh, as I think one of someone says, uh, what a specimen of manhood was a tweet that's come in from someone. And most of them seem to be my eyes and I can't unsee this. Um, <laughs> so look so at your you own peril. So if you are browsing Twitter, just be very careful what you, you might find if you um, the need to take a picture of yourself without a shirt on um with the combat gauge address it to at russville not not the face hammer because russ is the only one who's going to be like you know screenshotting that shit and saving it anyway so it's fine because I'll, I'll just um tweet it back to face hammer anyway so you get to see it Ugh. i know you love it i do so um yeah but that's fine i'm i'm, I'm comfortable with that I've, I've seen ben without a top on before i've shared a room of him at and uh, Poland, so it's fine. Um, that was to do with ETC. Okay, okay. yeah, I'll just look <laughs> yeah. Um, Lover's retreat. Yeah, well, you know, got to have those kind of have weekends away, haven't you, to, to relax and unwind and, uh, yeah. Well, anyway, okay. let's not talk about Ben Curry's hairy nipples. Um, so, Things can um, only go uphill from here. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I think we could talk about, um, the new releases that have gone up this weekend. So this is for pre-order. Um, and we have the Baleful Realm Gates. Scenery. Scenery. Yes. Oh, scenery. And the Ophidian Archway. And the Stormcast Eternal's Lord Castellan. So uh, people who listen to the um, the last show will know my hatred for Games Workshop descriptions on products. Um, but I'm hopefully they, I don't think they've done it on this one. Um, you know, well, actually they have. Why, why would, why break a habit? Um, it's too much to read out, but basically there's, there's a picture of it and then there's a description telling you what it looks like. And it's like, well, I can fucking see it anyway. So the Ophidian Archway, um, you can get the War Scroll for this as well. Um, I think it's quite cool. Um, I've painted one. Have you? Cause you got a one for your store, right? Yep. So yeah. it's, it's awesome. Um, it's GW scenery, which means that, well, it's GW fantasy scenery, which means that a couple of things you just have to accept off the bat. One is that the casting quality isn't quite what you would expect from normal GW stuff. It won't go together quite as perfectly. Um, that it, their plastic is just like that. However, it is plastic and it's scenery, so it gets poly cemented, which means that in comparison to other stuff you'd get, it's way more bash proof. Once it is together, 
perhaps with small gaps to be filled with ivy between the corners of it. Um, it's awesome. It's incredible. It's just straight up dry brush porn. It is definitely dry brush porn. Yeah, I, I, when I saw it, I was like, Byron's getting that big brush out and this is like because I saw this in um, my local games workshop I went in and they had one and it, it hadn't been painted true light um, games workshop fashion um, and it was it was like this it's sort of a different type of plastic it's that kind of grainier plastic yep. which is why it's not as nice as a plastic model which is understandable I mean I, I don't mind them using a cheaper more robust fab uh, Material because obviously no. it's going to be it's bomb to be a bit more hard wearing. Yeah, it does look really really tough. Um, but it's um, it's twenty five quid, which I don't think's too bad actually. I mean, I was surprised that it being that cheap. But from um, from uh, Element Games, you can get it for uh, nineteen ninety nine. There you go. Yeah, just under twenty pounds. So definitely, yeah, definitely do bargain. Um, yes, um, the, the, also the, notable. Sorry. I can jump in. Um, they haven't listed this anywhere, and they should have. Uh, I am fairly sure this isn't a hundred percent, but I'm pretty sure I've seen pictures of it being used modular, so you can just you can make whatever you want out of it because of the way that the left and right, like so, it's got everything on the left hand side of a piece as you're looking at it yeah. has like a ball, and then everything on the right hand side has a socket. So if you want to make a buck off great big wall of archways, which would look awesome. You can if you want to make a square. You can because the corner pieces or whatever. Ah, actually, there is on the Games Workshop site. They've got it in like a horseshoe shape, but they've also got it flat. Yeah. So you could actually put two side by side, like you're saying. You could even make like a. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, that's. Uh, it does look good that you can actually sort of build a, a house almost like you know like a proper structure. Like I oh, mean, you, you're gonna make me buy like more of them, aren't you? Yeah, man. Damn you! Damn your eyes! It's, um, it's really, really good. Uh, it, it takes. It, sorry, uh, is, it, is it like the Oskilia ruins? Because to me, it reminds me of the Oskilia ruins that they. It's they... A lot thicker. Yeah, it's yeah. it's way more sturdy. Um, the cleanup time on it was was more than you would like, ideally, because of the type of plastic it is and the fact that everything is a is a, a long linear piece right down the centre of that piece, which is fairly three D. Is um is a seal line that has to be scraped off. So if you're looking at the box, the the like the stomachs of the snakes, the uh, the scales on them that form the front of the piece, like you can imagine down the centre of each of those, you have to remove a seal line. But overall, it, like to paint, it was an absolute joy. Um, I will I will upload onto our Twitter the pictures of the one that I painted, which took me about I guess about four hours all told. Um, it looks, it looks crappy. I think it's one of these sort of things. You could do a quick job, or you could do a really nice. You just like, get rewarded job. for the time you put it in just appropriately. Depends on scales. what level you want to put it to. Um, yeah. Now, I really like the realm gates. You have two pieces in that. Yeah, there's two realm gates, um, <clears throat> and I really like these. These you can teleport between them, can't you? In the game, yeah. Uh, models really. Actually, I just talk quickly actually before I move on about the. Um, the archways rules. Have you looked at it? Have you? Have you had a look? Rules in it. Only the stuff that you've told me. So, so yeah. So basically, it's it's um, sinister. So um, you basically you've got like minus one bravery if you're within like three, uh, and if you're one side of it and they're the other side of it and they're attacking you, you get a a bonus to your save. Um, it's weird because it uses things like benefits of cover and um, fear 
as rules, but then the four-page rules doesn't actually have those rules, so I don't know. Um, and it's also got the Awaken Graven Carvings, so if you've got a hero, you can try and awaken the carvings. Um, so you pick a... On a 2+, so you pick a enemy model within 6, and you roll a dice, and if you roll over its bravery, it's dead. If you're on a 1, you've got to roll a dice for yourself. If you roll over your bravery, you are dead. So it's this, kind of... This went to your bravery as well, you were saying? Yeah. Because it's, it's sinister. Ooh. Ooh. Um, yeah, so it's fairly interesting. I think, I'm not sure how that will come into play, but there could be quite funny stories. Especially if you made a three foot modular one, like. (laughs) Yeah, three one. Um, um, yeah, then you've got your, um, you've got your Belfort Realm Gates, and I think these are really nice. Have you painted these as well, Byron? I haven't. We didn't get sent these at last because they look awesome. They yeah, so good. Well, I saw these in the GW, um, and they actually had them painted. These ones, and I think they've really been nice. given them, and we haven't. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but, but <laughs> wow. Yeah, shocking. Uh, but I think these are really cool. I love the fact they're like the little spiral staircase, and they're floating, and they've got the, the portal. Like, but you know, thirty-five quid for two might seem like a lot, but it's. It's 28 quid off Element Games, and um, I think you can not get... Not badly sized. No, 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 not, not at all. It's not like a straight-up, oh, God, that's minuscule. Why am I paying this much? They're, uh, they've got a mini on in the picture, and they're not No, they are pieces. about, you know, like 11 inches tall. They're not small. Um, but I think the you can get, like, the set, so the two just under £50. Pounds, um, it's a pretty good deal. I, I think it's quite good. Yes. Yeah. Um, then you've got the, uh, the, I don't know, the lantern dude. The lantern dude with his dog. Um, it's head. I'm not I like a f- dog. fan of the model. I think he's better than the other dude, the other guy with the sword and the hammers oh, on his cloak. I don't know. The, the, I, the lantern's a bit derpy. I'm not a fan of it. Yeah, it looks a bit, it just looks a bit, well, ironic, but child, like, the way that it opens out, it looks... It looks like a child's toy that he's holding in his hand, I yeah. think. It it's like all a bit blocky. Blocky, it's... and then it's got the little flickery sun bits around the edges that look like a child's drawing. Um... <laughs> but... I have to get on board with it, because he's really good in the game. So, <sighs> Yeah, like, so Les has gone for his how bent is it in the game, that's how much it, how I like the model. Um... <laughs> what do you think of his dog? I don't like it. I like um... it. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I, so, I think it looks on like... A little derpy dog thing with a. I don't get the little chest spike thing. I was just going to say the spiky tip. Um, I mean, I'd probably cut that off. Yes, I would too. And flatten away. that shield so it's flat, and then do it like with a little lightning bolt on it, like they put on their shoulder pads or something. Well, when we come to the models, uh, like... chopping things off that you don't like is going to become a theme, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, unfortunately, I can't cut my opponent's like double-handed hammer guys off their bases and throw them in the bin. Well, I don't understand why you don't like them, <laughs> I do like them, they're just, they're just too good. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you've got like the Lord Caston as well, and he's he's got a, a halberd. Um, he's freeze, freeze and freeze, three attacks, so freeze across the board, basically. Minus one rend damage too. Um, but he's got his lantern, which is a bit weird. So in your hero phase, you can unleash the magical energies of the warding lantern. You can pick Chaos or Stormcast Eternal Unit within 12. Um, if you choose Chaos, it's struck by Searing Light, blah, 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 blah. 
Mortal Wound, Chaos Demon Units take D3. If it's Stormcast Eternal Unit, you can add one to all save rolls, which is so broken. Especially if you're in a wood. Um, in addition, each until your next hero phase, each time you make a save roll of seven or more, that unit heals. So you basically, if you roll a six on your save, you heal a wound. That is just ridiculously good, uh, especially when you you think you've already got a four up and you go to a three up, then you could be in terrain for a two up. Um, re-rolling ones on your like your liberators. Um, yeah, he's he's solid, really solid. Um, what does Doug do? Or is that I, I I don't care. Um, three on it, then you can have them in, and they sort of they're yeah, off any number of models. They savage their foe with razor sharp beaks. Ooh, savage. Two attacks, threes and fours, no no rend, one damage. Uh, but <clears throat> it's basically saying he's a loyal companion. So it makes four attacks with its beacon claws if it's within three of a Lord Castellant. Um, they attack in a series of dice strikes. Immediately after you hit attacks in the combat phase, roll a dice and move each model unit up to that many inches. So basically you go into a combat fight, roll a dice, then back out of fight so they can't be attacked. Um, it said it's impossible to sneak up on a Griffhound. If an enemy unit is set within ten of this unit, roll two dice. Any unit within that many inches is alerted to the enemy's presence and can attack it with one of its weapons, though it was your shooting phase. Mm. I don't, if an enemy unit is set up within ten of this unit, roll two dice. There's going to be my I don't, I don't, I don't really... Yeah, whatever. Like, like skirmishes or some shit. It there. basically calls at the unit and goes, Car! and then people <laughs> shoot it, I think. Um, oh. It's like, Demigriffs were never that good. And they're like mini Demigriffs, aren't they? So they're not mini Demigriffs, come on, man. They're not that good. Demigriffs are bent. They're not bent. They just look bent. He does look like a mini Demigriff. Um, yeah, it's quite cool. I quite like the idea of them having like these like dogs, but they're not dogs, they're like griffins. Um, but that's basically all that's up this weekend. Um, yeah, so I, I got my book. My Age of Sigmar book. Um, and I know in the last show we talked about what is this book? What's going to be in this book? Exciting times. What is it? Um, and I, you know, uh, we didn't know. I mean, it's two hundred forty-five pages. I didn't really know. Pages, no, I had to write an email. And you had to it. sell it. You didn't know what was in it. <laughs> it's hardback though. I knew that. Yeah. Well, it, it is lovely. Um, but we kind of knew it would be. Um, it's a bit strange because there's loads of artwork and loads of full-page pictures. With a lot of, like, I know in previous books you had quite a lot of fluff. So if you load the End Times books, you'd have like a two page spread, you'd have quite a lot of writing on it. The font in here is a lot bigger, and there's, there's probably a lot less writing, and a lot more pictures. Um, generic comment here. Well, yeah, maybe it's for a younger reading age, um, but the point is, it is lovely. And I, I always found as well, some of the End Times book got a little bit laborious reading them because it wasn't like, oh, it's loads of text because it's, it's interesting and I want to read it. It was like, it's like a, yeah, it's just like, oh, and they're fighting. So let's have a big descriptive paragraph about a battle, which you don't really give a fuck about. Um, uh, Matt Ward wasn't the <laughs> best descriptive battle writer either, was he? So, oh. well, he was a good step up from Gav Thorpe. Um, but then the end times book did feel a little bit four pesque with the and then and then and then and then, um, um, but you know I mean they're not, you know these aren't literary 
masterpieces by any stretch of the imagination. Um, they're still quite cool. I mean, I, I I think the book's really nice. It's got it's got a bit of an explanation about fluff. I haven't read it all yet. I've read the first bit. Um, there's some mention of a secret of some dark power hiding in the realm of death, which I think is probably Sunesh. Um, and then there's some talk about the the plane of life and Nurgle um, sort of corrupting the the garden. When I say plane of life, or so I should say the Jade Kingdom, known as Gyron, 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 Gyron. Anyway, weird non-IP specific name. Um, um, and there's some pictures of like there's some artwork with orcs and there's lots of Stormcast Eternals basically being badasses Um, and it talks about sort of what happened in the Age of Myth Age of Chaos Age of Sigmar I'm not going to go into details but basically we we sort of covered it loosely on the last show Um, but there's there's some explanation about you know how they make the Stormcast Eternals and I've just got up to the bit where they start talking about orcs but I haven't I haven't gone past that um in terms of like just looking through, in terms of like pictures, it is really cool. It was really nice artwork. I mean, like some of the some of the stuff in the imagery in this is really nice. I quite like it because it's got a, a whole dark um, sort of cast to it. It's like it's a lot more kind of bleak. Um, it's not like our trees and and hills and and woods and people sort of you know building their farmsteads and stuff. And it's kind of it's a bit more like I don't know, a bit more fantasy, if that makes sense, but, yep. but not low fantasy. Um, there is pictures of some chaos-like fortifications, which look like they're going to be a plastic kit, and they're going to be modular. And there's some scenarios in here using the watchtower stuff, and these look awesome. They're like cornate brass with all spiky bits and skulls. and are oh, in this week's White Dwarf. So nice. Uh, oh, are awesome. they? Some of the pictures, not yeah, not explicitly. Like, uh, okay, just like by, pictures but... in the background, right? Yeah. So I imagine that's going to be out fairly soon. Um, I think so. Yeah. There's also um, there's some pictures of armies on round bases. So you've got some Skaven stuff, which haven't really changed image-wise. You've got a lot of undead stuff, but interestingly enough, there's not there's no pictures of Tomb King units on round bases, mm-hmm. which is kind of probably a, a little, I'll shed a little tear over that if that's uh, if that's they're not going to be around anymore. Um, you got the giant army. You got goblins. There's no pictures of orcs. No like models or models on round bases. There's quite a lot of ogres, and there's the Sylvanus, Sylvaneth, which are like basically the dryads and treemen. Um, and there's quite a lot about them in this book. So obviously they're they're obviously expanding. And there's there's a picture of Stormcast Eternals with. Um, Flagellants and uh, warrior priests and like a war altar, but there isn't any like state troops or empire knights or any of that sort of bullshit. Um, that's some pretty cool imagery though. Like yeah, I like the idea. That's like a holy, a holy war band. That's, I like that as well. That's cool. That's I like fun. the idea. You've got like the stormcast guys. Now this is kind of the point. I don't know how much I touched on it in the last show. Is that when we were playing with the game, the Stormcast Eternals feel like you're playing with Chaos Warriors, and the Chaos Warriors felt like you're playing with orcs or how orcs used to be, or how they should have been in Eighth Edition, which is a bit weird because Chaos have always traditionally been the most like sort of brutal, like tanky but killy stuff, and now like Stormcast Eternals seem to kind of eclipse them. There's the four pages of rules. Yep, skip over that one. There's <laughs> there's loads of like 
story about the Realmgate Wars, and then every story is broken up by what they call battle plans, which are basically scenarios, and they give you special rules and objectives, um, and they modify the starting rules, and there's a map, and there's terrain on the map, but it's like you can use it or you can do your own. Um, quite interesting. There's it's It's actually like... There's some rules for, like, getting a, um, like, some sort of bonus. Looks like your general suffers from wounds, turns into a spawn, and things like that. There's some, like, praying to the dark gods and things like that. And all very character, all really cool. Actually, it'd be really interesting to play through these scenarios. Um, kind of makes me want to paint up a corn army, so then we can play through it, Les, but, you know, I don't know. How much how bothered I'd be about doing that, but um, it'd be fun. We could always play through it with like your warriors anyway. You're like, yeah, you, I've got plenty of plenty you know. of uh, warrior models in my in my collection. And then you've got the, there's a lot of stuff about Nurgle and Nurgle attacking uh, like the Sylvaneth and the sort of the the lore of the, the sort of the Alariel's sort of um, growing of her seeds, planted them, growing them into these like tree spirits and. Nurgle have basically gone, oh, we want to go and, like, fuck up life, we want it all to decay and rot away, and that's there's quite interesting stuff on that. I'm quite a big Nurgle fan, but I think most of the book is basically the Stormcast Eternals turning up and going, we're here and we're beating everything and we're here pushing chaos back, which is basically the, the, the gist of what I can imagine is happening in the story. Um, yeah, some really cool sort of imagery, pictures, models, scenarios, um, not much else to say about that really it's it's all it is it's um there's no extra rules in terms of the game there's lots of interesting scenarios which would definitely be worth playing um through even with your own army so i think that they they add another length different depth to the game um and i'd really like to play through some of those and see how they play but i kind of want to i kind of want to play with new stuff. Like, I don't want to play with an old army rebased. Yeah. I almost want to start from scratch with my collection. Well, me and you talked about this, didn't we, the other day? About, yeah. You know, which we're, we, we won't get into yet, because I'm sure we'll talk about it when we talk about the Clash game and, and what we yeah. did. So, so. I mean, for me, like, I'd almost like to start a new army and all the other stuff almost, like, mothball it. I'd just go, that doesn't exist anymore. I'm not going to do that, because I've got so much. <laughs> but... Um, there's also some in some of the pictures. There's some terrain as well. It looks like a like some sort of like griffin things with this big like ball, like holding up this in the, in the background of some of the pictures. So okay. it's on page two two nine for those who have the book. You it's can like, have a look it's at got that. Like a brass orb, sort of yeah, like yeah. yeah, but it's like cradled on the wings of some griffin like yeah. statues. Um, and then there's the battle scrolls for all the um, stuff that's in the box set and with the extra units so you've got like the judicators in there so they've got the range weapons you've got the griff hounds and the lord castellan on foot and the lord castellan with the lantern the what justice the, lantern the chapter breakdown because there's stuff in the chapter breakdown wasn't there like yeah, what was, i was, was going to touch on that um so basically going through the battle scrolls you've got the corn stuff there's nothing new in the corn scrolls other than you know it's just what's in the box set um and then you've got bizarrely you've got treeman tree lord ancient tree lord uh, Dryad's Branch Wraith, and you've got some battalions. Oh, and there's also the Slyvanus Wildwood rules in there. And then you've got some battalions, which are basically battle formations. So you've got the Guardians of the Deepwood, which I think is the box set they released a while ago, which is three tree lords, 
two of dryads and two wildwoods. So you actually get woods as part of that formation. Strange. Um, and then you've got the, the sort of three Stormcast Eternal ones, or two of them, I should say. Thunderstrike, Brotherhood, and Heroes of the Host. Um, also, yeah, as you said, Les, inside the book, there's a, uh, like, almost like in the Space Marine Codex, you've got like a chapter organization, or as they're called in this, a chamber organization. It's close to chapter, but not quite the same. <laughs> yeah, well, um, it's called the, so this is the Hammers of Sigma, which are the gold and blue ones. Um, so not the Ultramarines, but might as well be. Um, and they've got basically these conclaves, which are basically like, um, I would say in terms of like Space Marine chapter organization would be your, your chapters. So you'd have like you, and each conclave has got so many units of these things, and they make up the Hammers of Sigma Warrior Chamber, which is the so, overall. To be thing. like the first company, the second company. And yeah. All so basically, the conclaves are like the companies, and the the chapter is called the Hammers of Sigma, okay. uh, but they can call, it's called a chamber, and they're not called companies; they're called conclaves. But basically, it's a Space Marine army. Um, so, and in this organization, there's something called paladins. Now, I think what these are, these are the retributors that, that are in the set, but with different weapons. So they can have like halberds and they're like, like bladed spears. And also I've seen pictures of the, the Angelos guys, which are like the, the, the Angelos conclave, which are basically the retributors, the, the angel dudes. Okay. Yeah. And I've seen pictures of those with spears. So obviously when they release the kits for these, two yeah. units, they're going to have we- alternate weapon options a lot like the um, Liberators do. And obviously you've got the, the what they call the Justicar Conclave which is the, is it Retributors, the guys with the guns? Yeah. And they've got like bows and crossbows basically. So it looks like that's going to be a model range for the um, Hammers of Sigmar. And I know that, oh sorry, the Stormcast Eternal Army. And I think when people were talking about um oh, they haven't got wizards and stuff like that, I think that that will come in from Ed adding in the sort of the Empire, old Empire human stuff, so like the non-Eternals, but like the humans that, that went to the plane with them to uh, escape chaos, and they kind of come out and help, but they're not, you know, they are a different thing. Um, yeah, so that's basically your new releases, so I'm sorry that's a bit bit waffly but that's basically where we are with that but um yeah so anything in there les that you you really like or you're excited about or i i quite like the the idea of painting up one of the the, the character with the the halberd i know he's a bit sort of like i know we just sort of discussed how sort of tonka toy she is with like the flames and stuff but i am um, i actually don't mind the model um I, I definitely prefer it to the other guy with the the sort of like the, the the weird hammers coming off his cloak. So I think the hammer cloak dude's a nicer model. I I do too, actually. I like. I think uh, as, as an epic stance, that model is uh, the hammer dude is. I think cool. I think the word they use is majestic, Byron, to describe yeah. him. Yeah, I, I just I just kind of can't get on board with the silly little hammers that are coming off his cloak. I just don't. You know, I just look at it and go like, meh. Yeah, but that's a magical hammer cloak. I know. Yeah, it's going to be good to shoot shit. But you could like, you could, but then you'd have like a tassel cloak. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think I'm, I'm looking forward to painting it. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I'm saying that now because I haven't painted the rest of the stuff that I'm painting, which I'm sure once I've painted another ten turquoise dudes or greeny purple, greeny yeah, turquoise. Yeah, I'm sure I'll get sick of it. 
You don't, don't know, Brian. You'd be the man to talk to about that when you're getting sick. You um you airbrush that that colour down though, don't you? So it's not I, like you've got to like get a decent base coat. It's not too bad then in that case, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I airbrush it down, but then I, I wash it and then no, I. I don't, to... I don't mean you just airbrush it. I mean that, but actually, a lot of doing a big colour like that, big flat colour, is getting that consistent base coat is the pit ball ache. Yeah, it's oh, you can get away with doing a lot of stuff with, with airbrushing that sort of speeds things up. Like on the the, the flybird guys, I um did the wings. I, sorry, I did. I airbrushed the wings. Yeah, yeah. I just basically airbrushed them turquoise, and then I just <clears> wings grey, and I airbrushed the base, and it was just like right, okay, so these guys are like fifty percent done. It's just shade them down, and then base coat and apply washes. And you stuff. enjoy painting the turquoise after you've done the airbrushing, or is it a bit of a bully? I don't mind it. I didn't really enjoy it that much on the double-handed hammer guys. Um, just because there wasn't, there, I, I had to sort of invent highlights because yep. the, all of their, the sort of like the armor plates, all the bits I really like doing are like the fine highlights like you get on a space marine, which is like I've done that for so many years painting marines. I really next to a trim piece. Yeah, but there isn't any on those hammer guys. So what I had to do because they're, they're all sort of framed with like ornate parts of the yes. armor. So what I had to do then was sort of like fine line each part inside the sort of like the armor plate which it looked cool but it, it just took a lot of time i where... think i think they do look really nice I, I think there was some highlights where i was a bit like why is there a line there on the back of his leg and stuff that i saw when you brought them over and yeah so, so i did it just sort of like to to line the, where the ship is in mm. like so it'd be i've done it it's just like the, the way i always used to paint marines and stuff so i just uh, applied that to a fancy so sigmarine yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we're gonna speaking of this we're actually going to do a little show about painting the models and, and stuff because we've been what we've been painting at the moment um and we're going to do an interview with uh rich Payne um from the paint hammer blog yeah to talk about um the competition he ran and, and a bit about his blog and stuff and how he's finding painting the eternal dudes because i think he's doing quite a big army of them yeah. um but that will be coming later on but we'll so we'll we'll move on from that i think cool. um but yeah, so um, I think what we we'll do then is we'll we'll have a little break. Um, but uh, well, before we do that, we should say that any of those new releases you want to buy, go to elementgames.co.uk and buy them from there because they yep. good customer service and cheap. Cheap, twenty percent off on the new releases, um, and it looks like they're not going to slow down for a while. So no. whatever we're talking about for the next few weeks, I've heard um, a dirty rumor that it's Age of Sigma for six months. And that's all. Yeah. Wow. And if you believe the Battle of Lost Souls rumours that have gone up today, is a is Forces of Destruction next? Yeah, that'd be cool. So that's what Warps and Goblins and stuff, isn't it? Yeah, I I'm think, really interested to see those. I think if they do something really interesting with the Orcs, they could really make them go move away from the sort of the derpy fantasy cartoony look they've had. But yeah, I'd like to see them do them more. You've always know. them, haven't you? If they if they sort of give them the work that you know they're reimagining mm. that they they kind of need, I think. I don't think they will reinvent the orc look because it is quite unique to Games Workshop. Yeah, you could still make like so. There's, uh, I'm trying to think of a compar a model wise comparison. So, what is what's the savage? Not the savage orc. The normal orc shaman called who's leaning on his staff like the old no, class. Cool. Okay, so that is when my favourite orc model. Yeah, it's amazing that model. So. All three of us, they're just straight on going like, yeah, that's amazing, that's amazing, that's amazing. If they moved to an entire range that that like embodied that kind of feel, rather than like the... I'm not sure Brian Nelson's still sculpting for him, but all of his stuff is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. 
I, I really like Grimgore as well, actually. Is that by Yeah, him? he did that, yeah. yeah. He did okay. that that style orc, all of that was him. So yeah. that that just like straight up brute aggro um like you can just imagine that they all stank and they just kill people. It looks um, aggressive, it looks yeah. it, they look like I mean I've some, some seen some fantastic paint jobs of that model as well. Yes. Um Grimgore is is an awesome model. Um yeah, so hopefully they'll the orcs would be cool. Um, hopefully it's they'll play bad. like orcs as well, and they'll feel aggressive, and they'll feel like orcs do. Um, I'm kind of interested to see what they're going to do with Nurgle and and Corn if they're going to do anything cool, new chaosy stuff. But I think they've had so much chaos release over the last sort of six months, there might not be anything really. Do you not feel like they they that Zinc have properly been left left out with the? No, not at all. Because they've not had any new kits, have they? What's yeah, I think. Yeah, kit? but I think they're going to be coming in for the plane of metal. So whatever yeah. they're doing to do around the realm of metal, I think it's all about Zinch in that yeah. plane. I think it's kind of a little bit of a, a hint in the laws of magic that uh, the marks gave you access to. Yeah, that's kind of where people are going to be sort of hanging about. Um, it will, so, yeah, because it ties it in, I suppose. Then, so like Slanesh will be in shadow. Hmm. Will be. Because yeah. that's where that's actually the that realm is they like Sinesh is missing. It's a bit kind of cryptic. I don't know whether they've done it because it's like, oh, we don't really want nipples and penises and sexual <laughs> stuff in our games, just blood, murder, and killing. Um, I don't know, but there's there's something with Sinesh. They're doing something with that, and the Horn Rat is es- is basically reached ascendancy to a, he's actually a Chaos God now. They've actually he's one of the he's one of the now five Chaos Gods. The Horn Rat is. Um, but the others don't really accept him. I think mean, so, that's pretty cool having like the but I like think that. that's quite cool. Um I'm quite I'm quite interested to paint up my scaven stuff that I've got. Um that I bought in the end time. So I bought some storm vermin and some storm fiends and the characters and I've got a nice quirky brown base for my Grace here that we did, so I might paint mm-hmm. some of those up. It's kind of it's weird at the moment in terms of hobby ways. I want to paint loads of stuff but I just can't get motivated to paint, which is weird. I suppose because you don't know where where you are with it all, do you? Until yeah, we... I just feel a little bit directionless at the moment, but yeah. we'll see. Anyway, okay. let's have a break. We'll come back, and we will then talk about the Clash of Swords comp, the game we had, and just talk a little bit more about about that. Okay, so we're back, and uh, just a little note about the Dice Shakers. They're, they're cheap on Element Games. How cheap are they, Byron? Uh, they are eighteen pounds and fifty pence. So I know we said like if they were fifteen quid, they would fly off, and twenty pound would be acceptable. So I think you should you should definitely pick yourself up a set. I, I might I might buy them. I know no resist. You know I you're. Think, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna throw it out here. If anyone buys the derpy shit necklace and the actually fairly legit die shaker in the same order and references face hammer, will uh. We'll, we'll give them a voucher or some shit or pop them on some store credit. There you go, extra store credit. You've heard it from the, uh, the, the. Yeah, for himself. Yeah. Please put something interesting on, uh, or something More about Willies. Yeah, yeah, they, that's the same thing in my book. But yeah, so. if you put in your order notes something about Facehammer, um, if it's, as long as it's not bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> you just say that you, you, just say that you're, um, like Ben Ben Curry's nipples did it for you, and yeah. you heard about it on Facehammer and something like that. And um, yeah, 
Byron will sort you out a little little something. Um, yeah, something. I want to see everyone with die shakers and necklaces at a tournament. That would, I'm, that would I'm really it. tempted because they're so like because you've got them so cheap, Byron. I'm like, do I buy it? I got a pre-order my US Ariadna stuff, so I think I'll probably end up sticking one on there as well. Just be that dickhead rattling dice for ten hours before you roll them, and you, while you're doing that, vigorously slamming it sweaty. the table. Because you're a gamer, the necklace will be dangling around. You'll look so cool. Between my panties. Oh. Like, are you going to basically sing in a tit wanky dice onto the table? Uh, Your moves. I wasn't, but go for it. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Les just said. Got the image. I never said anything about tit wanking anything. You said you said your man. Yeah, well, it's, it's one of those things. Um, yeah, so you can buy your stuff from Element Games, and it's cheap. Yay! So, um, we're going to talk a little bit about Clash of Swords comp. Now, bit of a disclaimer up front, this isn't finished, this isn't finalised, it's still subject to change, um, but, you know, I've been talking to Mo about what he's doing, and I think as a wider point, before we talk about the detail of that comp, is that, and this is, I think, on the latest Heal and Hammer um, podcast, if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it, um, they put the point across way more um, articulate, <laughs> <That would laughs> more, in a way more articulate and uh, professional way than what we did. But basically, I think um, what the important thing here is they made the really good point that regardless of competitive play, regardless of anything, where is the guideline for the person who turns up to a gaming club for the first time, plays a stranger, and wants to have a balanced game? Yeah. And um, I spoke to a friend of mine who, um, I won't name how or what he does in Games Workshop, but he works in Games Workshop in some capacity. Um, And he was talking about the um, similar thing, is that actually how do you... You've got people who play this hobby, and when people start out, particularly at a young age, they're probably not the most outgoing or sociable or able to handle social situations like that easily. Yep. And then you're asking those people, they're sort of the Games Workshop guideline is have a chat before the game and play a fun, balanced game. And there's some talk about, oh, we don't want power gamers. It's like, well, wherever you do, you're going to get power gamers. It's just whether they're power gamers that can hide it behind fluff and, and, and like, charisma, um, but they're still going to be trying to win. Um and I think that it's really weird. There's no guideline. There's no guideline for what makes a balanced game. And even if you even if you want to have a balanced game, but you don't know the game well enough, how do you make that decision well, by playing that, games? I mean, yeah, and how does that awkward kid turn up for the first time? Yeah, know what what level it should be on, or even gauge that he might turn up having put together a list he thinks is all right, could turn out to be filth, and that's that. Like he's just he's just turned up, and is then going to possibly get ridiculed for being a power gamer it's yeah. by accident well no, he turns up with his goblin army because he loves goblins and plays are you saying he loves goblin yeah oh sorry goblins right. goblins yeah they're Tend- called grots now dude sorry man grots yeah. sorry we're playing 40k um, they yeah he turns <laughs> goblin army and um, and then sort of plays against the warriors of chaos army with loads of skull crushers yeah, but that- Terry with kairos and like a million flamers yeah Ter- terry's flaming gun line of fun um, yeah. yeah, so basically, like, that's the problem. I, f- I can't see... I don't... And, and this is the point I made to my friend. I said that I can't see... Games Workshop are not going to fix that problem of people being dickheads on a gaming table by by using rules. 
because and I'll break this to anyone who doesn't know this, there are dickheads in all walks of life that play everything, that do everything, and there are cunts that do it. Hello, I'm one of them. No, I'm not. Um, <laughs> I am a cunt. But, um, yeah, basically, you're not going to fix like people taking advantage of new gamers and doing things like that by by comping the game, you know, by, by using rules. That just isn't going to happen. You know, and if they think that is going to happen, then the, there's something wrong there. Do you know what I mean? I just, I, I, yeah, I mean, that's my biggest gripe at the moment, and I, as, as well, like, sorry, I'm on a tangent, but I, I'm one of these, I want to be excited about Age of Sigmar, and I am, but I'm also not excited, and I'm worried now that Games Workshop are leaving it too long before they put anything in place to say, by the way, if you want to have a balanced game, here's a rough guideline. How long should a game take? How many models should I have on the table? What's the go- There is nothing. And it it's takes like- an evening, Russ. Yeah, but it doesn't, does it? That's what they said in their uh, in the White Dwarf. Oh, a game takes about an, it, a game with a hundred models on each side should take roughly an evening. Great. Like, is that an adult's evening? A child's evening? Like, yeah. Some some people's definition of an evening is different to others, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, my, you even might start at 9 o'clock at night and end at 10. <laughs> you know, because your kids have gone to bed, you've watched TV, you had your dinner, then you, you, you sort of play a game for an hour and a bit, and then you go to bed. Or an evening might be you come in at 5 o'clock and you play from 6 till 11 o'clock at night. That's an evening yeah. to me. So, I personally, um, this is doing my head in. Um, if people from Games Workshop listen to this, and I don't think they do, can you do something about it, please? Because you are going to end up with this product dying on its ass, Because what will happen is there'll be all this excitement at the beginning and then it's just going to fucking peter out because people are going to be going, well, how do I play? What do I do? And you've got people, even like gaming clubs, and they're not, it's nothing to do with tournaments, it's nothing to do with competitive play. People at gaming clubs can't play the game because they don't know how to, where to start. No. So it's like, well, let's have a game. Well, how do I pick an army? Well, don't, you don't. Well, what, what are we doing then? Well, I don't know. So we're talking about the general public here. Um, people don't always think readily on their feet. Otherwise, you just put out some models and say, make up your own rules. Um, it sounds like, Russ, you are excited with reservations as a result of this. And I yeah. think that's, that's some, like, and, I'm excited with these stipulations and reservations. And it's putting a qualifier on people's joy regarding a product, which, like, we're, we're seeing this now. Um, element as a result of like we, we see the comments day to day or get people asking if we know anything about it like straight up from there we never know anything like we no. don't know anything more than a week ahead of time ever and we definitely don't know anything about rules ever full stop so there's an entire tournament scene that's definitely in this position and there's a lot of other people like you just said gaming clubs who are in a similar one just because there's other games out there um, that are making a really, really concerted effort to make sure that it is a game that demos well and obviously from stage one, no matter what you're doing. That's not like, here's our box, this is our starter box, always demo with this. That's like other games where you could just pick anything, pick a point value and go. And they've made a very simple rule set and it seems like the logical next step is to make it so it's really obvious as to exactly the way that people should go about like whatever your army is, whether you're playing with Lizards or Skaven or Chaos or good guys or bad guys, you can just pick up this many models and have a balanced-ish game at this level. Yeah, now what you're getting now is you're getting this whole loads of people putting out compacts, um, guidelines, 
um, you know, even a gentleman's agreement packs, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think, why do we have to do that? I mean, I'm not. That doesn't it's help not, little Timmy, who's no. not aware of um, the Warhammer forum. Exactly, and and to be honest, like, how hard is it just to put a guideline out there, guys? Come on, I'm not asking for points value. I don't, I don't care about points, and you, you've got obviously got this big fucking erection about no, I've not having a points value because that's how people power game. I'm, I'm not asking for game balance. I just want a guideline on how I should go about playing a game and selecting a force to play a game with, because what that means for me then is I can go right. I've got a rough idea. I'm going to plan out my themed, cool, converted army, buy the models, and start painting them. At the moment, I don't know what to do, and. I could make something up and go along with something, but it doesn't. Uh, if I'm not allowed to play with that because you release some pack in three weeks' time, just just fucking release something, and and you know pull your head out your ass and stop going down this. Oh well, we we're, we're not about we're not about all gaming and because otherwise this is just glorified army men. And you might as well say, well, you buy a pack of models, you put them on the table, and you just make pew pew noises and flick them across the board at each other. That isn't that isn't a war game, you know. You, if you don't want to be a war games company, then don't be a war games company. But if you're going to be a war gaming set of rules, then put some fucking structure to it. Um, because to be honest, what will happen is all the excitement will happen, and then people will just end up go, well, "What do I do now?" Well, I don't know. I might buy the odd model if it comes out, but I don't really know what to do. You got and, a distilled version of this with the end time stuff a while ago. Like yeah. People people were holding off because they didn't know what was happening. They didn't know what size bases they were going to be on. People Modelers weren't planning armies ahead because what if they have to change it? And they brought out the models. There was a brief revival. Yeah, and certainly. then it petered off. So, like, supported games do well. Fact. And, you know, this is, this is me talking. I want to be positive and I want to play the game and I want to support Games Workshop. And I'm struggling to do it. I said, all the people that don't give as much of a shit about it as me are just going to fucking walk and do something else. The product's going to fall on its ass. The company's going to find itself in problem, and suddenly Warhammer won't exist. And it's like, come on, guys. You've got this big push behind it. It's not hard. It's like a tiny little step that that you could have done. You could knock it up in an afternoon. It, you know, most, most people have. A lot of people have done it. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't take a lot, great deal of your personal time and you get, you know, it's actually going to benefit you as a company to do it. Just fucking do it. What's the fucking problem? I don't understand. I don't get it. And and this whole like, oh, well, it's not about that. Well, well then come out and say what this product is, because you haven't actually said we are planning to do this with this product, and we're going to do this release structure, and this is the long-term plan for this product. I don't mean details. I don't need to know what the next release is. I just need to know what is the structure for this game. Is it a beginner entry game? Is it a story-based, campaign-based game that you should buy the books, buy the models in the book and play the story out? Is it a war game you can buy any models and play? Is there going to be a tournament system that Games Watch are going to run events? What is the structure? What is the fucking plan? Is it a living rule book? Are you going to update it after every so often? What's the release schedule for those updates? I mean, just give the customers some information. It's like you, you've gone a halfway house. You've gone, well, we want to be different and we want to do things for the customers differently. We want to, you know, give, you know, support podcasts by giving them a free copy. We want to, you know, we want to kind of be more open and be more social media and stuff like that. But you, you, you sort of like, it's sort of like 
showing a little bit, but not showing the fucking what you're doing, and it, it's just annoying me. It's schizophrenic. I mean, when we when we come to talking about the uh, the Age of Sigma box itself, I, you guys have spoken about, it, but when I I give my thoughts on it, uh, schizophrenic is a keyword in how I'm regarding the entire thing so far, and that's not even considering the rules. Um, there's no. a lot of things where it looks like concerted efforts have been made to head in one direction, but uh, insert reservation or other thing here, and it seems with the rules that's going on to some degree as well. Yeah, but anyway, that's a bit of a tangent. So as a result of that, people are coming up with the packs, and especially for tournament play, which is what we're talk about now, um, Clash of Swords is happening in August, uh, I'm attending, Terry's attending, Les is on the fence about it, but he's going to go because he, he's a home otherwise. Um, yeah. You and, keep sorry? You keep calling me a home. So yeah. Come to Clash your home. Every yeah. text. Yeah, stop being a home. So, um, it'll be fun. I feel wanted on my side. Well, you can come as well. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't spoke to you. I haven't spoke to you for weeks. I yeah, you. I know. Um, you might have to read the rules. There's only four pages, I think you can manage. Okay, I'll manage. Right. So basically, um, the comp pack that Mo's put out is very rough. It's a draft. It's not finished. It's open to feedback. You can go on the Warhammer forum and, and give him some feedback. So basically, he's put a structure to pick an army. Um, so he's not trying to balance the game. He just wants it to be interesting. He wants to stick to the main rules as most as possible. Um, he wants to treat Clash as a beginner's tournament for Age of Sigmar, um, take some of the rules out, like uh, terrain, like rolling on the train chart and stuff like that. Um, and he wanted to keep it fairly simple so you don't have to learn too much. Um, but basically, this tournament is all about the social side of Cardiff, mostly. So the gaming's kind of a secondary thing. Yeah. Um, I've always had a great time at Clashes. I think there are now places available, and if you've never been and you want to go, I would just say get your money in. Get, what date get is in. it on? It's on the bank holiday weekend in August, so it's the 29th and 30th of August. So you've even got the Monday to sleep off your epic hangover from the uh, from the night out. Um, so basically, there's going to be eight pieces of terrain on the board. Um, so you're going to roll off place of terrain. No place could be within eight. So basically, there's a rules around terrain. Place is a bit boring. Game will be six, six by four tables. Uh, the winner that runs the roll decides how to divide the battlefield. Um, so basically there's like um, sort of a split across the middle, split diagonally, split in an L shape. So basically the the ones that are in the um, the sort of the Age of Sigmar rules. Um, they're not using sudden death um, it, as, as per the pack, but they're going to be used as a secondary objective. Triumph rules are not used. Measure distance. Now this, they basically said measures to the base of the model. So there's no overlapping bases, um, measuring from spear arms, all that kind of bullshit. Straight away, he's put that in. But I agree with that. I don't know why that's even not even a thing in the main rules. Um, yeah. Base sizes are basically models. It was the ones it was supplied with. If you've rebased onto round or oval, they must be sensible. He doesn't need to go into specifics because people shouldn't be dicks about it. I know I did see someone using the hexagonal bases. Which I actually think is quite cool, uh, but it's Will Goodwin, so it's obviously some gaming advantage. Um, a natural roll on a this is another thing that's not in the rules. A natural roll of a one on a hit or wound roll or save roll is always a fail. 
because there's been some talk about having invulnerable units and units that always hit and wound with no roll required. Um, summoning has been taken out of the game, rightly or wrongly. I, I personally don't think it's that big a thing, um, especially if you read the wizard summoning rules uh, the way that I read it, where you can't use the same spell in the army multiple times. You can only cast that spell once. Um, games are six turns. Um, and that's basically the, the sort of the blurb of it, because there's, there's no time limit in the Age of Sigmar rules. So there's going to be five scenarios, and it all going to be based around capturing objectives. And these are your primary objective, um, and they basically the primary objective I think is worth ten tournament points, and every secondary is worth two tournament points. And there's five of them. So in a game, trying to do the main objective. And the secondary. So the main objective, game one, is divide and conquer. There's six objectives, one in each square. If you divided the table up into 20 battle tiles, um, each one is worth basically the one who's got the most wins. Um, and you need to have five wounds worth of models um, within three inches of the objective. Um, if you have a ability to not be a targeted or start off the table, then you can't claim. Heroes and monsters can't claim. Um, and if you're both within three, that it's contested. So you've, it's not most models or most points or most wounds. It's just you're there, they're not. Second game, refuse flank. This one you have to replay. This one, didn't we, Les? Yeah. This was the one we tried out. And basically, the objective, one of there's three objectives. You play um, the battlefield split down the middle, um, like battle line in the previous edition. On turn four, one of the objectives on the sides disappears, and whoever's got the most gets your primary. Um, game three is capture, but it's captured terrain, not not objectives. Um, then you've got uh, a game called Balance of Power. Um, so you've got two um, objectives sort of inside your deployment zone, or like just just outside your deployment zone, sort of the twelve inch mark um, in the middle of the, and it's basically the same capture. And then you've got game five is capture the hill. There's a hill in the middle. Same again. It's all capturing stuff. It's set right sound a little bit boring, but it, it's it's actually make, probably make for quite an interesting game. The secondary objectives are using the missions in the rules. So assassinate. So you pick a hero to kill. Blunt. Uh, they pick a unit that you've got to kill. Seize ground, which I can't remember off the top of my head what that one is. Um, one is to inflict, another one is to inflict twice as many wounds on your opponent army as he does on yours, and Moonstone, which is capture forest. So they're active in every game, and they're worth two each. Um, so basically, your 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 sort of twenty nil sliding scale is based on is based on that. So there you go. Uh, I might have got the scoring system slightly wrong, but you get the principle of it. Um, so how do you pick an army? Which is probably what most people worry about. So <sighs> It might sound a little bit complicated, but basically when you pick an army, you're, he's given you a size for your scrolls, your war scrolls. So if it doesn't state a size, it's like one or as many models as you want, then it, 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 he's put a size in. But basically every war scroll you purchase is the minimum number of models. Now what you can do is you can buy multiple of the same war scroll and pull them into one unit. So you can have bigger units, they just cost more comp points. So basically, each war scroll has got a cost in comp points, and you've got 30 comp points. But the interesting point here is when you deploy your army, only 20 pool choices, basically what he's using, only 20 of those pool choice points can be used. 
Um, you can't have more than like four heroes. Uh, monstrous heroes take up two of that allowance. You could have more of that in your army, but you can't deploy more than that. So you could have multiple hero options and say, well, in this game, I really want a second wizard and I'm not going to drop my BSB out or I'm going to keep my BSB in in this game because it's really important. So you can see what the opponent's using and it's not like you pick a list and then you deploy it. You, as you deploy the models on the table, you use up your allowance so you can react to what your opponent's putting down. So there's still kept that dynamic of Age of Sigmar of that sort of bidding deployment thing. Um, and then there's a restriction on, which is new, he's put a restriction on um, monsters are 0 to 2, uh, war, war machines are 0 to 3, um, named characters are 0 to 1, so special characters basically. Um, and shooting is limited to 40 shots unless it's range 12 or less. Um, the shot caps probably be a bit low, as we'll talk about in a bit. Um, and basically he's done like a draft of the pool choices, which isn't finalised yet. But basically, for example, just to give you an idea. Um, so looking at your sort of Tomb King army, so your Tomb King is one pool choice for one model. The say the casket sold is three pool choices for one model. Skeleton archers you get ten of them for one pool choice. Um, tomb guards you get five for one point five pool choices. Um, Necrosphinx is four pool choices, things like that. So basically, you you spend thirty pool choices on your models, um, and these pools need revising because things like missile units are undercosted. Some of the monsters' cavalry units need to go up and things like that. But anyway, that's the principle. So, any questions, Byron? Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. I so probably should preface this with I know fuck all about the rules apart from having sat next to a couple of demo games. So, the instantly the most interesting thing there is the kind of sideboard aspect of yeah of being able to well, it's it's Horde and War Machine stole it from Magic the Gathering. It's a really really interesting thing and a very good way to deal with inherent unbalances in in whatever you're doing, whether it's the course rule set itself or the comp pack in this case, or house rules. So mm. that sounds really interesting. Yeah, so like some of the missions, you've got more objectives to capture, so you need more scoring units. In other missions, you need less object scoring units, so you can go more more aggro and drop things in, which which take more do more damage and, and are less capture-y. So, yeah, I, I quite like it. I think it's really good. But we we played a game, didn't we, Les? Yeah, no, we, um, we, I came over yesterday and I brought my Dark Owls. I didn't really sort of construct the list, um, that much because I looked at my list and looked at sort of like the, the, the pool choices and, and knew straight away that I wouldn't be able to take what I had painted for my Dark Owls just generally because I've got two units of 10, um, Dark Owl crossbowmen and that is my 40 points, 40 points of shooting with the shot cap already. Um, and that's without the dark riders and the cross and the repeater ball throwers and and all the other bits and bobs. Um, whoever thought to give dark riders three shots each is crazy. But um, but yeah, there we are. But yeah, we we come over and we um, like I said, we decided we were going to do the refused flank scenario, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. did. Yeah. And you were running a, a team king list, which was quite well surprising. Yeah. <laughs> well, probably... I basically had a team king. And I went for the um, the shield option, so we could reroll his four up armor save. Um, I just think it's much better than the monarch's blade, to take a dynastic blade, and the tomb shield. Uh, two lich priests, a necrotect. It's my hero selections. Uh, we didn't do the sideboard thing; we just did twenty points. 
Um, I then took a Necrosphinx um, because I looked at his rules and I just thought he's so good um, and he's really aggro. I love it. And he's always been one of my favourite things about the new book anyway. The model's um, awesome. Yeah, love it. But yeah, we'll we'll get on to how good he is in a minute. Um, then I took um, 30 archers um, because I thought, well, I need to have some like men um, and they get a bonus if they're in a big unit they shoot twice so I'll take 30 um, that gives me a buffer because if they've got 20 or more they shoot twice so it gives me a buffer if I can take some casualties and still still do the double damage um, I then took um, two pool choices of Necropolis Knights into one unit but I didn't have enough models so I only had 5 out of 6 um, and then I took two Tomb Scorpions and I as a unit and I took uh, two units of three stalkers. Now, the interesting thing about Clash Comp is when deploying this, I could split my bowmen into three tens. I could split my snakes into two threes. I could um, split the scorpions into two ones. I don't have to deploy them in that. I could deploy the stalkers as one unit of six if I really wanted to. So there's not. I'm not restricted in an army list of what the size of the unit is and how I deploy it. Um, so I can literally split my army up as I see fit. As I'm deploying it, and you can do it for more. So, like if you, like you said before, if there's more objectives on the table, you yeah. can split those thirties into three tens. Yeah, just to be yeah. objective scoring. Yeah, um, and I could split the snakes into two threes to be objective scoring, and I could put command in each one. Um, I quite like that. I quite like the idea. And this army's quite. I thought about this army quite a bit, like leading up to like just as I've been thinking about Clash and the Tomb King Scrolls a lot. Um, so the the sort of the, the principle of it, I've got a unit of archers which is basically my does quite a bit of damage. The stalkers and the scorpions can set up off the table, and particularly in this scenario, I don't need many capturing units. I can then basically just put them on the board where I need to put them. Um, they can shoot and then charge, and then the stalkers I can actually burrow them back under the ground. And then in another turn, bring them up somewhere else. So they can basically teleport around the battlefield. Um, really cool. They can't capture objectives, so I do that. But really cool. I don't think they need to, to be honest. No. Uh, and the Necro Knights, I basically put a lot of my army into buffing them. So I can basically use my king, Tomb King to give them plus one to hit. Uh, and to re-roll ones on charges and runs. I can give the Necrotech to give them... Uh, re-roll ones to uh, hit and gives them three inches on their move and their charge and I can give the smiting so from the uh, lich priest so if they um, roll a six to hit they get an extra attack um, so basically the the keywords for the snakes the necropolis knights they have um, skeleton reanimate um, death rattle so they basically they've got all the keywords that all the buffs need, so they can every buff can work on them. Whereas some of the units don't have it, so like the you know the stalkers of reanimates they're not death rattle. So depending on what like the tomb kings, but it can only be used on skeleton units, so he can't use that on like the necro sphinx. But you can use it on the necropolis knights. So there's a little bit I thought about what heroes I took to complement my army. Um, basically, it was a bit of a bit one-sided, but I yeah. think your army wasn't fought out. No, I just I just threw what I had on the table, didn't I? Really, and uh, to be honest, I didn't play it particularly well. 
No. And I oh. think you had some bad luck. So, like, you had Malekith, didn't you? So Yeah, I took Malekith because he's a little bit good. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. scary good. So what did you what did you take in the end? Just uh, I took Malekith. Uh, I took a sort of like a master on Dark Steed, BSB. Um, he's got like an interesting little ability, which means that I get to re-roll ones for anyone within sort of 18 inches of him. I think it is always at 12, 8 inches of him. It's 6 inches normally and 18 if you plant the banner. That's it? it, that's it, yeah, something like that, wasn't it? Um, I took um, just generally to try and sort of like trim down so I wasn't sort of overpowered with the shot caps and stuff. I took a unit of 5 Dark Riders. Um, I took a unit of 15 Witch Elves. Um, I took a unit of 10 Crossbowmen. Um, a Scourge Runner Chariot, a Bolt Thrower, and a Charybdis. I think that was it. Oh, and, a, and a Blood Rat Reducer. Yeah. And a Blood Rat Reducer, yeah. So it was a, I just took um, sort of like a, a, a choice, because I haven't got many Dark Elf models, because I, I only painted the army for Safe Coast this year. Yeah. Um, I just took what I had, essentially, just because I wanted to play with the Dark Elves, because they're like my newest army, and my others are a bit, bit tired, really. Yeah, I think as well, you probably they've been hit a bit too hard in the poor choices um, because they're not as good as they used to be. But then Brian played a game against Dan of Dark Elves and smashed him up with all his avoidance shooting and magic and Dark Riders and things. Um, How things have changed. <laughs> yeah, not massively. Uh, but I think because your list wasn't... Like, like the Witch Elves are well over comped for what they are. What they are. I mean, they're, they're dog shit, aren't they? They're terrible, the witch um, have never been there. They should have been executioners. But they're not terrible if you take the cane list with, the, with the cauldron what? and the death hag, and, and they're really good. All stuff, isn't um, it? Yeah. So, yeah, basically, um, we we tweeted about this on the Facehammer account. So, if you want to see pictures and sort of rundown of what happened in the game, you you can go and look at that. Um, I'm not going to go through it in much detail, but yeah, there's not many of them because it was over really quickly. Two turns it was, but you know, there you go. Basically, My first question was going to be, how did it look on the table? It looked really good. Yeah. I thought it looked it looked like Warhammer. It didn't feel like I wasn't playing Warhammer. It felt like Warhammer. Yeah. You know, I, I, I actually... But still new and different enough to be interesting. Yeah, and I think the Tomb Kings particularly, they feel very characterful. Mm-hmm. They feel like Tomb Kings should have been. Like, you know, like a lot of the rules and, and the way the units work and how they feel, it feels a lot more like Tomb Kings. And that sounds bizarre, but they just they just felt right. Um, this could be a sign of things to come, like with potentially fighty orcs and stuff I like that. I hope so. Um, I'm a little bit put off by the fact how bad the Corn Warrior guys are in the, in the starter, <laughs> starter set. But um, yeah, hopefully. I mean, I I quite. I think my biggest gripe about those corn guys is they feel defensive, but they're meant to be aggressive corn eight guys. Yep. Yeah. But they, they a lot of their abilities work around them being hit, which is a bit weird. They should be pumping out loads of attacks, shouldn't they? Yeah, but I, I don't know whether it's because the idea is you attack them and they attack you back and they do damage. So they're always doing damage to you. Could that not be the... Well, I mean, corn guys aren't particularly that concerned about defending themselves, so they are going to get hit whilst attacking. Yeah, but it, I like don't... Like a berserker... Yeah, maybe, Trade. but I, I just think they felt a little bit like a lot of their abilities work when you're being hit rather than when you're hitting them. Okay, yeah. Which is kind of a bit like, well, that sounds like a defensive thing, because you're very tempted not to fight with them first. Because you're like, oh, I'm going to get to hit anyway when you attack me. Yeah, so, so but if you did attack with them first, then they become better, but 
It's like if they hit with all three attacks, they should be able to get another attack because like your fucking two guys were doing that, weren't they? You know, well, we hit with a six, get to attack. Oh, again. that that's because I I cast uh, righteous smiting on them for my my lich priest, but yeah. But yeah, like if they had something like that on the corn guys, as in like every one of the six they get but to attack again. They or... do have you do have ways to buff them. I mean, we found when we played with the full list, the fact that you've got the the blood stoker and the BSB and the um the sort of the lord, you've got all those buffs you can put on. Yeah, makes them a lot better. But I don't know. They felt a little bit. I don't know. Maybe it's just not enough out for the corn guys. There needs to be more units. They just didn't feel didn't feel very polished as an army. Um, it's early days yet, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know if they release any more cord stuff, but hope so. But who knows? Um, yeah, it was all right. I mean, I I don't know how you felt. I mean, how did you feel after the game? Then, this? did you feel like you were a bit more for Age of Sigma, or you um, or less, or I what? felt a little bit sort of like if you take into the account that you fucking battered me, if you take that out of the actual. Um, it's all like the equation. I, I felt a little bit disheartened because of the way that the way that the game is in in like the, the state is in there where you have to you know people are writing compacts and stuff. And I, I mean, I, essentially, I was a bit down, wasn't I? Because I was like, I kind of didn't want. I don't want to take. I don't want to paint anything. Mm. Essentially, for Clash, I want to take what I've got, and if I take what I've got, I'm going to go and get battered all weekend or not have as many stuff, as much stuff on the table. Um, and I was a bit sort of like down. And then me and you got talking about, um, you know, different things. And obviously I've got like quite an extensive Warriors of Chaos army and quite an extensive Demon army. I mean, a lot of the Warriors of Chaos stuff, I don't think any people would have ever would have seen of mine where I've got like 10 Slanesh Knights and additional hand weapon corn warriors and, you know, and, and stuff like that. Stuff that I've never like, you know, ever played a tournament. And I got a little bit more excited about, you know, maybe doing a, a warrior army and rebasing it. Um, and I think. I mean, I was, I was talking to Byron a bit earlier on. I'm, I'm still not a hundred percent in. I'm not balls deep in Age of Sigma yet. I'm, no. I'm kind of still just waiting to see, which is kind of why I'm not painting anything. I'm just painting up these like the, the Sigmarine guys and and seeing where I go with those because I've got the models. I've I've already invested like the you know the, the whatever it was to buy the box. Um, Entire so one pound twenty per head. Yeah, one pound. Yeah, it's cheap. <laughs> Um, so I figured, like, I might as well paint these guys and, and see where see where the it, it stands. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna invest a massive amount into anything. I don't really want to be painting. You know, essentially, if I did take my dark house to clash, I, I'd, I'd have to be painting thirty executioners, I think, and some coldwind knights. And whilst I've got those models here, and they're gorgeous. Yeah, it's like it's a big. It's a big thing for me to go like, right, okay, so I now need to you know sit down and paint thirty executioners and. You know, and I'll take them to Clash and I'll have a laugh, and then I'll probably not use them again because someone else will come out. Or they, you know, they release the the alpha or alpha parts of the of the new book, and I'll be like, right, well, I'm gonna start something new. And mm-hmm. I think that's what the problem is for me with Age of Sigmar is that I don't really want to be using, I don't want to be tweaking or adding parts to my old armies. Yeah. Those armies are finished; they're done. And I think for me, I need to be getting a new chapter. The next project, you know, I'm I'm almost tempted to rebase my warrior army, or, or rebase my warrior army and my demon army, and, and sell them as Age of Sigmar, or or rebase, or just sell the Dark Elves and rebase the warriors and the demon army and keep that because I've got a massive selection, you know. Then, um, so yeah, I just um, 
I'm excited about it because it did feel like a fun game and we were playing it and, you know, it was, I, I hadn't really put a lot of thought into it um, going into the game. I think mainly because of the amount of time that I, I'm spent sort of like thinking about Infinity and that's quite an intensive game. You have to know what you're doing with it. Mm. Uh, and I think that's probably what, another reason why I was a bit sort of like, um, I was a bit put off a bit but at the same time i still think that there's a lot of potential there like we, we, we touched on it briefly it was it does feel like a, a game of warmer it felt like i was playing warmer it didn't feel it tactical. it wasn't no-brainer no it wasn't then yeah. people were like oh but the, the amount of stuff i've seen where it's just like awesome oh, like a big grind in the middle of the table and it, it wasn't when we played it wasn't at all no um yeah. we had quite a lot of um i definitely had a plan in my head and, and my list was constructed in a way to play a certain way um, and I used my pieces in a way that I used my necrosync to take out the crib disc. Um, I whittled Malekith down. I used my snake unit as the come and charge me resilient unit because I put arcane shield on them. They took the charge. I used the bowman to finish off Malekith. Then I combo charged in. We, you know, it's just there was a lot of synergy between what I was doing with my units. And I think that was the big difference. You kind of put your army out in a line and moved it up. Whereas what I did is I, I used my army as, as complementary units. But that was from designing the lists going forward. And there's definitely tactics to the game and there's definitely a game there. It's not it's not just mash it in the middle of the board and, and roll dice. It's not oh, at all. There's a hundred percent a game there. I think when I think the problem is is that we we're just sort of seeing the tip of the iceberg. We need to see what happens with yeah, the Yeah, we we're getting the tip where we want the shaft. <laughs> How much would change with your tips and your shafts if you were playing with the uh, with the, the sideboard thing? How much would that have like what would that have I changed? I think it wouldn't have changed massively because I think it changes more when you're playing different armies. But I think as well what it means is that we don't know enough about what the stuff does. Yeah. So like like for instance, as soon as like Les puts down Malekith a Necrosynx is coming out. Because it's it's a great counter. Yeah. And it's like, as soon as... And then you'd say, conversely, oh, as soon as he puts a Necrosynx down, I'm pulling out that, I don't know, you know two bolt throws or whatever. Yeah, I mean, well, to be fair, I think if Malekith goes into the Necrosynx and one-shots it, 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 it's de- definitely possible with the amount of stupid rules he's got. What, Malekith? Yeah. Yeah, but the thing about the Necrosynx is that I can get that charge on you because it's so quick. Yeah. Because it's 12 plus D6 plus a 3D6 pick the highest charge. Yeah. And then it's got the, if I roll two fives to hit you, it's 10 mortal wounds because I can buff the to hit roll. So it will just kill it just kill you. And his side and blades are threes and twos, which I can make twos and twos re-rolling ones. And then it does three wounds per thing and it's minus three rent so you wouldn't even get a save. Plus, I half all the wounds you do back to me because I'm a Royal War Sphinx. So it's kind of, yeah. I know you've got the same thing, but I, I don't know. I'm not saying it's a given, but it's. No, no, it's, it's dicey, isn't it? You know, you don't need to huge it off. You want I would to... look at Malekith and go, I need to have something that can do that. So, um, you know, he he would go in the list, but then maybe if I was playing, if I'm sort of playing something, they've got a lot of war machines. Like for example, the example I used to use, wasn't it, was the stalkers and the, and the scorpions, so they could be sideboarded, um, and I could bring out two catapults in the casket. But if I see I'm playing someone, they've got quite a lot of backline units. 
Yeah. Then I would put I would sideboard them out and put those in because I'm thinking, well, actually, I need to be able to go and get those bolt throwers early and not let them just get value for six turns. Yeah, because if 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 you'd have got first turn, my bolt throwers would have gone first turn. If I'd bought multiples down, wouldn't they? You'd have just yeah, comboed. basically because I would have just comboed with the stalkers and the scorpions, took all the bolt throwers out. And then the great thing about the stalkers now is even though when they've come up and killed something, even if it's across the other side of the board, and you think, fuck, I'm never going to get across the board now, you can just go out of burrow them then, and they'll come out next turn. So on yeah. turn three, you could bring them up somewhere else. So turn one, they pop up, do the thing. Then you could bring them down under the ground. Then turn three, they pop up again. It's so very nice to hear these things being said about different units. Yeah, uh, that's like that's the big thing I'm getting from this conversation. People are having tactical discussions about things that are operating in different ways, and by the sounds of it, in a lot of ways that are, are how you would have thought they should work, which is quite cool. Yeah, and I think it's exciting. There's a lot of nuances with the game, like um, being able to pin people into combat, and even like when I said to you, when it, I could have brought a unit up to stop the witch, I was getting that counter charging. Yeah, in a way. Oh. I mean, you failed the charge. And then forgot they could re-roll all the dice, but um, you know it, it's one of those things, isn't it? I mean, the sideboard would I think would come into effect with more experience. Yeah. But I think from a tournament play, it's going to be more about what you're facing and what the mission is, rather than what what units they're putting down. Yeah, I think you need to play for the mission a little bit more. And I, I mean, admittedly, it was all over turn two or three, wasn't it? And yeah. Because my list is particularly weak. If I had to capture six pieces of terrain. I've only got two scoring units in that setup I had. Yeah. So how do I win that game? You just I, I would have to then into whatever on the unit and kill it. Yeah, but I'd have to split. I could split the snakes up, but what I'd probably do is sideboard a unit of six Shabti and drop the stalkers out. Yeah. And then that's another scoring unit or two scoring units if I split them into two threes. And in Shabti as well, like if they're using a lot of weapons that do, they haven't got a lot of multiple damage weapons. Shabti are amazing because they get a they get a free up armor save. So then you go, well, I'll cast Arcane Shield. That's a two up save. Yeah. So if there's like someone's got a lot of shooting that does like, you know, like, like Dark Elves, for example, they do one damage a shot, then I'll go, well, I'll just, I'll just march my Shabti up because they don't care about it. Yeah, it doesn't matter, does it? Because they've got the three up save or whatever. Yeah. So um, maybe it's only in combat. So if I've got that wrong. Please, please forgive me for the, the sort of the one game I played between kings, um, <laughs> but um, anyway, you get the principle, the idea that they're you know they're they're a great objective scoring unit. So if people are using units that are, are like you know big units of marauders or witch elves or things like that, they don't have multiple damage. They're doing one damage a turn, and the shabti with the great blades have got a good rend. They've got a good amount of damage. They're really good at killing like stormcast eternals. Yeah. Um, so they would be in my army because I'd say, well, if someone someone's going to drop a lot of stormcast or heavy armored things, most of the stuff in my army has good rend. I've yeah. intentionally picked stuff with good rend. The Necrosphinxes have got good rend and good reach. Um, so, like the Scorpions are good rend and good reach. They've got three two inch reaches. The Necropolis Knights are two inch reach. The Stalkers are two inch reach. Um, they're all long reach weaponry. So I would then also be tempted to take a unit of Skeleton Warriors, string them out in a line, and then put the Constructs behind so the Constructs can hit over the top but not get attacked by lots of attacks. So you have to soak the Skeletons. The Skeletons are quite easy, resilient. 
and you can bring them back very easily. So they get D6 models back a turn, plus they, you know, you can raise D6 into them. So it, there's a lot of, there is a lot of synergy in, in what you want to do with the list. So I've been thinking a lot about Tomb Kings. There's a lot of stuff I could do with the army. So, and conversely, if someone's got an army where they've got a lot of stuff that buffs things within six and they want to keep units close, Casket's great because it's, it does, um, D3 mortal wounds to a unit and every unit within six on a five up takes D3 mortal wounds. So you don't want to be in a cluster. No. So there's, there's a lot of things in that I think work well. Bone Giant's really cool as well. I mean, like, even Carrion are really cool. You would have thought that we would be talking about how competitive it seems that Team Kings are. But I, I think there's a lot of potential in a lot of the, the army site. I mean, we were looking at the Chaos Warriors one, weren't we? And we still go, how, how good is that Disc Lord? Oh, it's amazing. There's each Disc Lord. <coughs> amazing. He, literally, he could pin a unit in place. He could basically anchor your entire flank because he's so resilient. Yeah. And then you, and it's no different really to a Dislord with the free up rewarding ones, really. Mm. You know, and especially with that Zinchro. I mean, imagine when you get what attack, he's got a two up armor save. And then if you roll a one on the Zinch thing, then you'd be basically doing a, a two up rerolling ones. Yeah. He's enough that's going to kill him. And he's still quite killy. So. He just doesn't run, does he? But then it doesn't matter because he's well, he just there to bravery, support, like, so line troops, isn't he? He's not there to punch armor, is he? I suppose. Yeah, but he's still got a Ren value, isn't he? No, he's Ren zero. He doesn't. Oh, all right, okay. Yeah, but he's good at all right. He's good at pinning big units of infantry and stuff. Then just yeah, because he'd go in there and he's not going to take. I don't imagine he'll take many wounds. But like you know, if you're putting him into something that hasn't got you know that much armor, then you're going to put wounds through anyway. Yeah. Um, and like I've, I think the the mutilif vortex beast is is so cool. Yeah, dragon ogres. Dragon ogres are awesome. Yeah. And we look at the shagoth. Shagoth's amazing. And the, and the lightning storm. That you call down if you roll a double for your who goes first. Um, oh, that's a good point, actually, Byron. Have you have you actually seen enough of the game to realise about the first turn roll per round? No. So, do you know, like in in like Warhammer, as you're used to, you roll a yep. dice off, you go, you have a turn, they have a turn, you have a turn, they have a turn. Yep. In Age of Sigmar, you have a round, and you roll off the two who goes first in that round. So you could end up having two turns in a row. So you have to like plan for not getting. You know, you can bet big to win big, or you can. Be, you have to be sort of like almost overly cautious in some areas and be like, right, I can go forward. I can sit off a bit now because he might get another go. So overcommitting is more of a thing than it ever has been. Mm. Yeah. But what you can do is say, put a unit out that you go. What well, if he gets his turn? If he wins the roll, then he will charge that unit. They're resilient enough that. I've already buffed them defensively in my first go, and that will last till my next hero phase, so I will still have the defensive buffs on. Yep. But if I win win the roll, and I've got stuff set up to countercharge it, but yep. if I win the roll, I will cast I will then get my hero phase again, so I can cast the Go offensive angry. buffs on them and be aggressive with them. That is interesting. Isn't it? So there's there's a really interesting mechanic there. Yeah, it's it makes you Think a lot more as you're doing stuff. I think you know, you know, you have to, you know, be aware that you might not get the first turn, uh, you might not get to go first again. And like, you know, I think when me and you played Russell, wasn't it? When I, I, I moved into a position, I was like, I need to get for this turn now. I need to go first because if I, you went, it would have been over. Yeah. 
it straight away, wouldn't it? It would have been over in three, well, two two turns still, but, but yeah. you wouldn't have had a second turn, basically. I would have had a second turn. Like, I would have literally just had the one turn. And, you know, me failing a couple of charges and not yeah. get magic up that I needed. But I think the important, you know, you, we discussed it a minute that when you cast Arcane Shield on Malak, if that was a good play to push him up, but I you should... didn't get the spell off. But then you pushed him into bow range, and it was like, well, you should have just waited. Yeah, I, I admittedly, I just did it. I was just pushing forward and having a laugh. But I think the thing is, we didn't. You, you were just sort of just see what happens, kind of thing. Yeah. And that's I think that's when we played that first scenario in the box. So that's what I did with the corn stuff, and I got bad then, didn't I? So yeah, it's, I think that proves you've got to think about what you're doing. Yeah, it's, it is. You have to. It's not just pushing forward and have a massive fight in the middle of the table. It's not. You know, you, you'll just lose if you play someone you knows what they're doing. That's that's always an option. Doesn't matter what playing game you're playing, you can always, especially if both you're up for him, you can just push into the middle and have a brawl. But yeah, that's fine. But it's, I would say as well that if you're playing with the starter set and you want to test that theory, you can get away with that with the Stormcast guys because they are bent. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was chatting to a friend of mine who, who's been demoing it, and he says that basically the the Stormcast win like nine times out of ten. Um, we were um, when we were doing the demos with ours. I was painting the Stormcast guys in batches of five, so yeah. that uh, the games were actually a bit closer. Oh, because uh, you didn't have one of the units on the table. Yeah, yeah, because I think that actually would balance it. Like if you lost one of the unit of liberators or one of one of the units, it would be balanced. It's just having the two of them, and if you get like that, like your dice go hot at that one time, like mine did, and I just passed all those saves. It's those retributors, man. They're just like, they're just sick. They're just. The, it's just the thing is, like, you just pin it with the, the shield guys, and then the hammer guys goes in and twat stuff. Yeah, well, that that to be honest, that's tank and flank, isn't it? I mean, it, yeah. it, that was a classic Warhammer thing, and it's still there. Um, so I think it, it is got potential, and, and talk about the clash comp in particular. It's given me a little bit of excitement about I can write a list, I can get ready for it, I can think about the, the scenarios I've got to play, I can get into, and I can always straight away see that as a competitive tournament game, it can be there. It just needs a little bit of what what are the pools, what are the yes. what's the restriction. And I don't say it's a perfect system because it doesn't take into account like wounds or how good the units are, but a lot of it we just don't know yet, and that could get refined. So I've seen some other systems that work around the wound count. Um, and there is one that was really complicated to do with like your wounds divided by your save, uh, your wounds times the models divided by your save, and that equals your points cost or whatever. Um, but, you know, anyway, there's, there's different things. Yeah. There's basically, there can be a system put in place, but I would just like Games Workshop to come out and say, here's our guideline. Um, and we can always work off that. Do you think they're waiting? Doesn't follow Twitter daily and know the tournament scene or the Warhammer forum. It was something that you can have a stab at. I don't think they're going to do it. Do you think they're just waiting there? They're like literally they put up all of these sort of like gimmies or like oh here are the war scrolls for the armies that we're not going to support anymore, and then we're going to release a unit for Stormcast stuff. And there's no points cost threat. And then next time we're going to release another unit of stuff. There's no points cost for and we're going to get the six months of releases. We get everything to a point where like we've got new releases, and then they go, "This is how you construct a game using the new stuff." Because we're not going to point up any of the old stuff because we don't really want you to be playing with it. Possibly, yeah. But I, I, that's that's my biggest problem. I'm guessing. Why? Why don't if they just go out and said that, I can get on board with that. 
and I know that I'm not going to waste my time painting up or rebasing my old armies. Yeah, but they people would rage, wouldn't they? Yeah, but they'll rage anyway. Yeah, people are going to rage regardless. I mean, this <clears throat> sounds like we're wrapping this up. Is the, is the next section the talking through the box set? Yeah, we, well, we're going to talk to you about, as a retailer in your company, your business and, <coughs> and the box set and how sales are gone and that kind of thing. Sure. Shall we take a this break This is then? a fairly good segue, so yeah, if we, if we hold it there, um, that fits with a lot of stuff, as a retailer. Okay, so we're going to have a break and we'll come back and we'll go into more of the commercial aspect of, of Age of Sigma um, and some thoughts from an actual business owner that actually cares about it. So. <laughs> So we're back, and we are going to talk about Warhammer Age of Sigma from a retailer point of view. Um, but before we get into that, maybe it's a good idea to just give people a little bit of background about what businesses you are currently involved with, and, and what your sort of role is, and what you do. So come cool. on, Byron, tell All everyone. Right. So people don't know about Element, and they've probably been living under a rock a bit, but we sell toy soldiers a lot, and that's... Three years old and. So you're only three years? Three years and a bit, yeah. Wow. Um, so that was started uh, when I was a commission painter, and basically I was struggling to get stuff in time uh, to fulfill deadlines and things like that, and I was having issues with other websites. And I was lucky enough to have my now business partner, Greg. He's pretty techy and those is knows his jazz and he built the website so between the two of us there we had someone who knew about the well not about the ranges we stock now because fucking hundreds of them but knew about uh, what we were starting with in the industry in general and then Greg who has a really good business head and knows advertising and he could build a website so that's that's grown into quite a big thing but also hand in hand with that uh, we were approached a little while ago one of my friends Rich Loxham who was designing a game and where we are in the Northwest Gaming Centre, you get a few people coming in saying, oh, I'm, I'm part of this, I'm thinking of this. But when Rich came to me, he said, oh, I'm designing this game and here's some concept art we've got for launching it. And he just showed me art that was like top level computer games industry standard uh, art. I was like, okay, this looks pretty good. And that game was Gilball, which for the easiest way to explain it is to ask people if they've seen Gangs New York. And if they haven't, that makes it a lot, a lot more difficult. If they have that opening scene where there's all of the gangs that they kind of, they walk up and they're individually re- introduced and they're fighting in the snow and just, it's, it's really bloody and brutal. It's to say, imagine that, but instead of fighting each other, they are about to play football and it's football, football. It's not American football, which is actually ironically, uh, given that the miniatures game industry started in the UK. Not so, something so soccer. For yeah. the American listeners. Yeah, it's it's soccer. Um, so you have six player teams, and it's got really really good mechanics, beautiful models as well, like proper low fantasy, straight up. Uh, if you think of uh, the Lies Lock more by Scott Lynch or something like that, that is the type of world that really influenced the style um, and the narrative of the background for the game. So it's got a very which, Victorian England type yeah, feel to it. It's it's people kicking an inflated pig's bladder from one church to another, and the idea in the background is that the way that the different guilds, so your, your butchers, fishermen, masons, alchemists, the way that these guilds um, 
plot and push and scheme for power is it's all through this national pastime of this game. And there is, there's huge, huge mechanics going on in the background behind these, um, it, the closest equivalent is actually, um, Japan where your, your football teams are like Team Mitsubishi or whatever, I guess. So it's that, but on a, um, a, a more traditional scale. And that's the fluff behind it. Um, and my job within that business is, uh, myself and Greg were brought on to handle the distribution of it. So, um, it's, it's going to be quite a lot of things, but essentially I am, I'm heavily involved in making sure that we get the stuff so we can give it to people. And on a more creative level, so I've got a tiny bit of input, uh, but mainly believe that's the guys who invented it. And that's why we brought on so they could concentrate on what they do best, which is design beautiful figures and rules and, uh, there might be some more of that stuff coming up in the future. Hmm. So, is that you've set up this this Steamforge company? Is that... Yes, it's Steamforge Games, and that the, yeah. that's the distributor company. It it is, and the owner of of Gilball. So, other things that we may do in the future will be under the uh, the brand name of Steamforged as well. So, oh, okay, so basically, Steamforge Games is is the company that makes Gilball and distributes it. Yes, and, and you, uh, your role is to handle the distribution. Yeah, but you have a bit uh, of input on other things, obviously. Yeah, production is 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 taking up more of my time currently, making yeah. sure we actually have the shit to sell. Yeah, uh, well, that, that's kind of part of a distributor's yeah. remit, I imagine, because obviously I I remember when I worked in the industry, that was always a nightmare. Yeah, um, uh, it's been interesting. Uh, yeah, we've we've got some other like there are some other fairly well known companies, uh, Infinity Miniatures. Uh, we. I've been involved in and are going to be involved in the distribution of Kickstarter and stuff like that as well, which is nice. quite cool. So that's so, taken off then. So this this might have something to do with why you've been MIA a bit, to be honest, yeah. I guess. Yeah, quite quite a lot to do with it. Things have been busy. Um, I have two jobs, both of which take full time and have to be done between the hours of 9 till 5, so it's been a bit of a squeeze because a lot of it is communicating with other people. Um, yeah, uh, it's, yeah, that's and, always tough. Yeah, it's only three months... Gilball's only three months in, really, since it's been out properly as well, and we build it as a, a professional enterprise and a, a legitimate uh, enterprise since day one, and people have been very accommodating in that and taking it on board as that, but that means that we have been expected to step up and ramp up things very, very quickly. So uh, gone from zero to not including the directors to four staff members with temps in three months, and, uh, and things are having to... Like, we're just, by necessity, we are moving forwards quickly. So all of this has meant that, particularly with Age of Sigmar, um, I've got Element and Steam forged, and that might change my perspective a little, I think, um, from other people, potentially. Um, it was handled noticeably differently from Games Workshop's perspective, in a good way, which, uh, which like, as a starting point was... A, a great place to begin from, I think, that they sent it out to, they sent it out to podcasts. Um, we got a load of promo stuff, which you don't normally get. We got images ahead of time. So we're talking about, get. we're talking about what games which have done. So let, let's just, so just get on track here. So, because sure. I was, I got a bit confused there. So basically, we're, in terms of Age of Sigma then, and as a retailer's element games, this is where what you're talking about is that Games yeah. Workshop's approach to the release. Okay, yeah, go ahead then. Sorry, yep. I was there. No, that's my fault. So they they handled it differently, which is brilliant. And they firstly they acknowledged just the scale and the importance of what it was. Um, it wasn't it wasn't 
eked out there. There was a lot of build-up, and stores were given stuff to help with that build-up, which is brilliant. Um, so how long before the release, then, did you have your copy? Um, we had it a week before the pre-release, so two weeks before other people had theirs, I think. Nice. I could okay. be wrong on that. It might just be a week. <laughs> it's been a busy few weeks for me. Um, so we had it ahead of time enough that when people were pre-ordering, they could actually see and hold things in person, which was awesome. Like, I'm I'm all over that. That's what everyone should be doing for everything if possible. Because normally you just get stock two days before the release date, basically. It actually, yeah, it actually needs shipping out, um, yeah. which, was, which was brilliant. And we got to have a proper nose through it. We were given uh, bunting and wristbands and and all that jazz to go with your die shape. Oh, you've got all the, um, the accessories and stuff. Yeah. Nice. Because yeah, that's what Workshop used to do, wasn't it, with the black boxes? They'd let you look at the stuff as it went up for pre-order. But yeah. But that was just GW stores, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's good. That, I mean, yeah, but it's the same sort of thing, the same sort of style, but they've now approached sort of independence, I suppose. Eh? I think there's, in recent times there has been a lot more of a shift in terms of a, a couple of things I won't go into, but they, they are acknowledging the importance of independent retailers far more than they ever have at any point which I think is of course I'm going to think is brilliant because I own one but it's it's how they should be doing things and it makes a lot of sense because we're open seven days a week games workshops aren't generally speaking um, on a blunt level and on a much deeper level there's a, there's a lot of other things but they have taken a lot of steps to make it so it's it's easier for us to operate how I feel we should be doing like they are the giants of the industry which is something I'll come back to shortly um, and they've they've acted in a way that acknowledges the fact that other stores and the internet exist, which is a lot more than they've done in the past, I would say. Generally speaking, people really like to have a moan about Games Workshop, and I get a lot of customers coming in who blatantly are expecting me to have a, a heart-to-heart with them about how they make my life worse. They don't. They're awesome. They they handle things like an actual business. The amount of issues we get to do with Games Workshop in comparison to pretty much everything else we touch are minimal. Uh, it's just that they're such giants when we do have an issue, um, whether it's with stuff arriving because it's sold out or, or communication or something like that. People know about it fast and then you get these embittered uh, little retailers, generally speaking, um, going online and venting in a fairly unprofessional fashion, which a lot of people see and then take out of context and like to like to piss and moan about online. Uh, yeah. It's probably the same people pissing and moaning who hate Games Workshop online and then buy absolutely everything they produce, whether it's a limited edition and costs £500 for a book with a different cover or not. Shh, um, didn't do it. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I'm not one of those people. Like We love working with them. They're fantastic. I'm, I'm not being paid to say that or doing that because it'll it'll scratch my own back or anything. Um, they are really good to work with. So it's nice to see them having a new release in a way that fits with that. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Like on a on a trader level, that's that's how the release was handled. It's awesome. I would love to have got more stuff ahead of time, forever and ever. But that's unrealistic. They've got good reasons as to why they, generally speaking, keep a close lid on stuff. And I think that's probably to do with supply. If they told everyone this is coming in a month and it didn't because of any one of the myriad reasons which happen when you're getting stuff shipped over or packaging shipped over or anything like that they'd be disappointing people. That's that quite interesting, because that's quite common in the wargames industry from other companies, isn't it? Where they talk about, oh, this is coming, this is coming, and then it, it doesn't arrive, doesn't arrive, then it gets... And it's normally because their suppliers are letting them down, but 
the only reason I would say maybe that's not the case with games is because they make their products themselves. They make uh, their products, models. they don't make their packaging. No, okay, yeah, good point. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, if you're reliant on someone that's not you, that you can't fix by doing overtime, then it makes a lot of sense to do that. I, I don't know this for sure, but they are doing things on such... Like, their new releases... Um, we sold hundreds of Age of Sigmars. There is there is no other company that we sell where a new release sells in those quantities. Um, so it was it was it flew off then. Age of Sigmar. It was, it was crazy. It was absolutely mental. So everyone was naysaying, and then it went up, and we literally sold hundreds of them. Um, people were going crazy for it, and it was there were people buying three or four, which is then for mates and people were definitely hyped about it. And I think a lot of that is because of the stuff ahead of time. So you'd had, had stores being able to show people all over the country what was in the set. Some people got the scenery. Um, they gave us a two-by-two two battle board piece for it, which is like just a straight-up pleasure to paint. And really, Yeah, really I've seen those. They're really nice. It makes oh, me almost want to do a Realm of Battle board out of those new segments when they release them. Oh, they are so good. Top tip, if you want to make yours look awesome with absolutely minimal effort, uh, pour Tamiya clear red in the recessed pool bit. That's what we did with ours. Make sure you leave enough time for it to dry, and it just looks straight up evil. Um, we had they gave us a lot of stuff, which was brilliant, and people had seen it, whether online or in person, really hyped, and that was eminent. Like the buying patterns just showed it. Like people and their friends were going in and they were getting a load of stuff, and people getting along with paints and new models. And the book sold really well as well, which is a uh, more proof that it's not just a splash, I think. Um, and as we covered earlier in the episode, we're hoping they make sure it isn't just a splash by doing what they should do, but that's that's up to them. Yeah, I was going to say, the momentum's going to die off pretty quickly if they don't address these issues that, that fundamentally people are noticing. And I'm not, it's not a minority. Um, I've spoken to people who aren't tournament gamers, it's got nothing to do with the tournament scene, don't play Warhammer competitively, uh, I've asked them the same questions, and that's the same issue they have. Gaming clubs, um, I know that there's been issues down at Dan's club, and he's touched on this show that that they will quickly, the momentum for this product will quickly fall off a cliff if they don't address this, these issues. For sure. So I mentioned earlier about um, the end times releases and stuff like that. Uh, I was fairly, um, I didn't stop indicating to Games Workshop um, when we spoke to them weekly. My frustration about the fact that no one had gone out and just said, keep calm, shit's good, we're not going to ruin your game um, throughout throughout the end times period because we saw it, people were spending less a week on Warhammer and that's, yeah. that's an issue for everyone. Um, so all it would have taken was one person who was high up to say like, it's good, guys. We're not going to ruin your shit. We're not going to make this entire range redundant, etc., etc. Now, when I spoke to them, I was I was told, which I didn't need to be told because um, I thought about it a lot, and we're we're fairly involved with it, and it's my job to think about it. But they've got shareholders. They're not going to do something that suddenly renders their shit so irrelevant that everyone jumps ship, goes over to Privateer Press or Infinity or Guild Ball or whatever. Um, they're not going to do that because they do have shareholders, but the general public don't think about it in this way. So one thing I would say is it is in their interest to make sure at any point that nothing is mass-rendered redundant or that 
they don't do flashes in the pan that just disappear instantly. Like they have a very, very uh, pertinent reason not to do so. But if they had taken the time to get a CEO or whatever to put out a 20, like he'd spend 20 minutes of his time drafting a small statement that was put out online or however. It's just put out a press release. I mean, exactly. it's not it's, it's not like every other company in the world doesn't do this. I know. And it's like, why are you special? Like, get off your own fucking little high horse and just, you know, I mean... Or something. Just I, think think I think it's being stuck in their ways to some extent. Like, I, I don't have... I'm saying this a lot, but I don't have any inside scoop on any of this. This is just my opinions as a retailer. Disclaimer! Yeah, yeah. and a a result of my frustrations as a retailer in that time period. Like, generally speaking, they're great, but we lost for months hundreds, maybe thousands of pounds in sales because people were just not doing anything. I was one of those people. Like, I spent an ungodly amount of time making fucking Tetris tiled movement trays for my high for me so it could look special on its square bases. I'm not going to start going through that agonizing process again just to render it redundant in two, three, four months or whatever. So they could have done that then and now, hopefully, they won't do that at this point. Like They have changed how they're operating in recent times and for selfish monetary reasons and for other reasons, I really hope that they take a, a proactive step towards things. Um, <laughs> bloody hope so anyway because we're, we're doing this podcast because we love Warhammer and if it dies a death we'd, uh, we'd have to jump ship onto something else well I don't want it to die I don't want it to end uh, I no. just, and I'm sure Games Workshop don't want it to but I just I guess the, the, my biggest issue is I cannot see the logic of these rumours and things I've heard from people from inside the company I'm not talking about um, I mean immediately they might be frontline staff that don't know much at all because they don't get told a lot but what I mean is that you, I've heard that there's this, there isn't anything coming, they're not going to put any sort of weight guideline on how to select an army in. And I just think, why? Why would you alienate any portion of your custom base, even if it's 1%? Why would you do it? It could be a pamphlet, it could be suggestive. It could be a two-page a PDF. PDF. No one gives a shit. I mean, you know, I mean, what, what when you run events at Warhammer World, you're going to have to have some guideline, aren't you? They're running an event, aren't they? They're doing like a campaign weekend. Yeah. So hey, pick an army. What do you bring? Like, part in a campaign. What do, I, what do I bring? My whole collection? Do I, do I bring my my seven thousand points of tomb kings with four thousand points of vampires into one big death fucking orgy and just basically put my look how much money I've spent on Games Workshop products over the last ten years fucking massive wang on the table by just filling it up with models and going well yeah try and beat this motherfucker. Yeah, you can instant kill one of my troops. I'll just stick that at the back with the yeah. million. Right, what mission are you going to pick? Blunt. Oh, okay, so you've got to kill this unit. But you haven't got to kill that unit, have you? You've got to kill the entire fucking army. Yeah, because right. the game doesn't end until I've, I've, it's fucking over. Um, just I don't imagine know. you turning up with a, cater- like a catering trolley entourage of people with your various options. Like, okay, so you're deploying that. I'm going to go to trolley A, shelf B, and I'm going to select this unit. You could could literally, whatever unit they pick, you could literally deploy it and then just surround it in a unit so they can't even get near it. (coughs) I don't, I just, it doesn't work, okay? It doesn't work. Come up. It's abundantly apparent that something needs to be done. When it's done is, I think, like, it will be done is when it's done is the pertinent. But this is the point is, like, I'm sure it will be done because it has to be done. It will be done after the fact or before the fact. 
I'm worried that it isn't going to get done because there's people, movers and shakers within Games Workshop, who have got some weird fucking twisted opinion about what, about, you know, how they want to stop people being competitive or power gaming. It's like, well, it's not being competitive isn't being a power gamer and being and being a dickhead on the table isn't going to stop just because you don't tell people how to select things. In fact, surely it's probably going to be worse. Surely they're a miniatures company. They shouldn't care who's buying their power gamers, people who don't power game, as long as they're selling toy soldiers. Surely well, they this is always the weird thing about Games Workshop. They almost want to sell you a hobby, a lifestyle hobby. Like, oh, we want you, you, you can enjoy our product, but only if you enjoy it in this way. So like, don't dictate to me how to use, how to play your game. Give me a game. Fine, but don't dictate what, what type will. of people want to how they how you should act and things like that. I mean, there's there's tournament etiquette, and to be honest, and there's etiquette and how you treat human beings. That doesn't matter what you're doing, but at the end of the day, you're dickheads all over the place. And and to be honest, like the worst experiences I've had in terms of table manners and 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 people being cheating and gaming, it's been it's been in like Games, games Workshop, Workshop events and Games Workshop stores. Because there's no control over it. Whereas when you go on an independent tournament scene, if people are like that, they either get banned or they get told tin to one side and said, look, mate, you need to wind your neck in. And it just stops because other people behave in a different way. And that, and then you go, oh, and even like new players, you come into that environment and you go, oh, and you say, look, to be honest, like in, on a tournament scene, you shouldn't really be doing that because of this. And actually it's not, it's not considered good form. And they go, oh, right, I didn't realise. And then from then on, like they 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 behave how the other people behave. It's like it, it's like when you get that little village playing it, and and they all play a, a rule a certain way, and they go into a big event, and then they get to them, that's not how the rule works. It's no different on behaviour and what's acceptable on the table. But don't try and fix that with rules. I mean, you're not going to fix that with rules. Just, but don't like deny people a way to enjoy your products. I don't get it. It is a strange approach. Um, to return to Guild Ball, uh, Guild Ball is you have a six-player team, you have to have a captain and a mascot, and the other, like, that six-player team can just be anyone who you're allowed to take within that team. It's been designed and horribly rigorously rules-tested and balance-tested with players from all different systems because it, it, it plays in a specific way. So you pull people from Blood Bowl, uh, Hordes and War Machine, Malifaux, Warhammer, just straight up fighting games, and everyone's played it in a different way, and they've smashed it and smashed it and smashed it until it's as balanced a system as we can possibly get. And then we've gone out there and said, right, we're not assigning points values, you just take six dudes. Like, that took so long, um, and that's, that's on a much smaller scale. It was really, really difficult to do, and it's very different for them with things, especially things which, like, physically are different sizes and, and have to act like a monster or whatever to say, like, Here's a dude. It's fine. But um, that's the other thing, isn't it? How did they playtest it then? I mean, I mean, how did you playtest the units? I mean, how do you, how did you write? I mean, if you're not going to put it into context, how, how did you playtest it? I mean, you, you, things are not equal. You know, one unit of ten infantry isn't equivalent to another unit of ten infantry. No. And Skaven slaves are not ten stormcaster terminals. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, or, or, or even, you know, even to take not such a ridiculous example, ten skeleton warriors are not the same as ten tomb guard. Exactly. Or, or, or you know, like I mean, but what what did you do 
to test it. What? How did you say these rules look right? I mean, you must you must have done something to say, oh, they're too overpowered, or they're not. I mean, even if you didn't do that, I mean, what? I, I, it just baffles me. It's like, how did you even write the rules then? You might as well just randomise what the stats are if you're not even going to bother. Uh, that'll be threes and twos. And that'll be twos and twos and threes and fours and fives and fives. I mean, what? 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 Did you roll a dice, add one, take one off. That's what you needed. I, I don't know. I just th- there's got to be some logic to it, and and if there's a logic behind it, then there must be a way to put a value or a or even if you're not going to say there's a points value because it doesn't have to be a points value. Even you just say this is how many scrolls okay. you could have or or this is the ratio of hero to blah keyword or whatever can you it's like in 40k you've got you've got a force organization chart you've got battle formations fine you've got points values you could almost take the points values away in a way and work around that and then just have some other thing in there like unit sizes maybe i don't know just something it, it just I don't get it. I don't get it. To conclude, we don't understand. <laughs> and I, I think that it, it basically, it's like, I want to believe that it's going to get fixed. I want to say fixed. I feel like they haven't released the whole product. Yeah. Completed. I, I just feel like they've released a little tiny bit of it. I mean, realistically, they haven't released the whole product, have they? No, they haven't. No. That's that's. That's the thing, is that they have re- released one new army, well, two new armies, and a section of rules that allow you to play with those two armies. And then they've allowed you to take previous editions worth of models in and play them in this Age of Sigmar setting. You know, when... So I, I think that they haven't released anything yet because they haven't released it yet. This is just like like dipping your toe in the water because I think that the previous War Scrolls don't count. But I... Again, just come out and say it. If your game's workshop, just make a statement, for fuck's sake. That's that's a pretty hard statement to make. Your shit is redundant. Or that Not that. Me. I mean, what are you doing with the product? What are you doing with it? Where's it going? What What's the plan? What? We don't know. That's the issue. So that like that covers that covers rules wise where it's at. Um, which is slightly, slightly skitzy. Um, my thoughts on the box set, which you guys went over it and you've all put it together and stuff. Um, overall, it's incredible. Like you're spending uh, RRP seventy five. Yeah. Um, yeah. Spending seventy five quid, you're getting forty three. I want seven. to say seven lots of really, really high quality models. So at whatever discount your retailer is getting, so. It, 20% off or 15% off or, or whatever, you're spending like one pound and something per really, really high quality plastic model. Yeah. That is straight up fantastic. Um, and anything I say past this point, because of that, that's, that's what I'm going to be thinking about when I look at that starter set. Um, the book is high quality. It's got beautiful pictures. Um, the models are fantastic. There's a fair lot of them for what you're spending. Anything else I say is nitpicking, but there are some quite specific things that I thought were very weird about the box set. So straight up, number one is just how skitzy it is in terms of the the nature of the complexity of the models. 
So you've got you've got the your foot troops, uh, the Stormcast Eternals. Um, the first thing about those is the fact that their shoulder pads join in the middle. Yeah, is really straight up fucking retarded. Like it is so so stupid. There was no need to do that whatsoever. It could have been a separate piece. You just popped on like a hat on the shoulder and a really obvious square joint or whatever that was made by meeting the two parts of the um, the chest plate together underneath, and you could have just almost clipped it on. Like a space um, shoulder pad. Exactly. It's not as if they don't have an example of their most Well, the, the actual, the main kit as has that, doesn't it? Yeah. The, the main, like, Stormcast Eternal set actually has separate pads. Yeah. Um, it's really silly that they didn't. Um, like, we're in the age of CAD. That decision is... That's a matter of minutes to make and do. It could have been because of space on sprues or something, potentially, but realistically, it looks like an oversight, especially when every single right shoulder in the set has got a fucking hammer insignia on it um, that really doesn't join up that well. So that, that annoyed me. Like Those models needed to be more complex, and not more complex in terms of building, just they could have had two more bits and been much more joyful to paint. They're good to paint anyway, but that adds, realistically, if you're trying to do a high-end job, smoothing and sorting that bit adds like 20 minutes or something per dude, potentially. Um, it's just that stupid. Uh, then from those models, which have got whatever it is, two or three pieces, uh, maybe four at a push, you jump, and this is still meant to be a starter set, bear in mind, to what's Turbo Kitty called? Turbo Kitty. Lord Celestine on Drakoff, whatever it is. Thundercat. So, that's got nearly 20 pieces and is just a straight-up normal GW kit. I love straight-up normal GW kits. They're what I buy. I love monsters. That's fantastic. That is not suitable for a starter kit. We've all seen Island of Blood. That Griffin Rider is some marvel of planning and engineering whereby you've got these four bits or whatever it is, they pretty much clip together and then suddenly you've got an incredibly 3D model. This is not that. This is not a clip fit set. They've got that thing with its 17 pieces and little fiddly bits between its legs and its chest and whatever. And you put it together and then you've got more seal lines, or sorry, more accurately, it's not seal lines, it's gaps that if you're trying to do a high-end job you have to fill or whatever. Um, the skitzy nature of the massive rift between those two models the little dudes on foot and the big guys is mental like if little timmy has started off putting those together or even little timmy and his parent and then they go to the big one but i found the marauders and the stormcast sort of liberators were on the same frame and they were both a lower quality than the other stuff so quite noticeably so even in terms of like actually like the mold lines from the, the actual casting, they were actually visible and they were quite they're big. more three dimensional, yeah. But whereas like the corn, like whatever they're called, blood gore things, whatever they are, the warriors, yeah. they literally are probably the best plastic model I've ever built. So you got really skitzy rifts between the two types of model. I think that's. I just think that's really strange. Um, you're selling a starter set. Every starter set for how long has been um, has been clip fit? Like, when was the last starter set for Warhammer 40k that wasn't clip fit models? Any idea, Les? How long ago was it? 
uh, fucking wasn't the first ever the first ever warm set that I, I owned but didn't play the one with sort of like the cardboard cake from the punch well no they, but they were one piece they were one piece so they weren't clipped through, were so they, they? they weren't they were one piece models that you just put in a base there was no we have to go back decades to find something that wasn't clip fit or an equivalent because I'm, it was one piece or whatever I'm gonna just jump in there though yeah go for it I think they need to have nice models in the set to sell it because do, you're not going to buy the set for the rules because they're free. The Island of Blood Rider is a nice model. Those sort of yeah, masters are nice yeah. models. Like it's not that they can't make nice models that aren't clip fit. Like they're the best in the world. I don't think you could make that Lord Celestin on Drakoth though. No, but maybe they could have put in a different option. And it's I, awesome. And I think that that's a big selling point of the kit. Yeah. Yeah, I un- I understand I, that, but I just I know what I you're saying, and and it, it, but it depends on what games we should aim the kit at, and this comes this comes from the they haven't made a statement about what they're actually trying to get people to they haven't actually said oh this is what this set's aimed at this is what the set's for I know it's a starter set but it doesn't it, I know it's got age twelve and up but everything on Games Workshop does it's like well what is the aim is this for new players or is this for this is actually just introduction to Age of Sigmar, and I think I don't mind the models being complicated. But obviously, I'm saying that because I'm an experienced modeler. Yeah, well, I buy normal DW kits day in day out. I just think it's very odd that they they have they've made something simple and they need to be in something more complex, potentially, or they've included a model that is that complex where they could have simplified it or not. It um, might it might come down to cost as well. Yeah, could well do. Um, it's just, it's just weird. I mean, the next thing is, and this is both from a, like a, a selling perspective and a taste perspective. I think the massive jump they've made away from their, their decades of low fantasy classic oh. wizards and robes and boards and swords IP, um, towards this, well, you, you could say Warcraft inspired, bulky, Bulky, chunky armor and capes, uh, which is fairly prominent in other ranges. Uh, you could look at uh, Hordes and War Machine or Warzone Resurrection or something like that. That that very um, modern-inspired, CAD-designed, chunky uh, model that completely acknowledges and is inspired by the, the existence of the computer games industry. The jump towards that which is particularly the um, the Stormcast Eternals, not the Chaos, I think it displays... Um, I would have shown more confidence in their own IP by doing that. It seems odd to me that number one has copied number two, three, four, five, and right down to 100 in terms of style to the extent that they have. The models are awesome. I'm not saying that they're not, but for me, at like 10% less, just to rein it back to maintain some of their... A prior IP I would have liked and I think as a result of them being so different, the Stormcaster Eternals, people are talking about them constantly and then the chaos is just getting mentioned offhand as like yeah and they're some of the best models I've ever seen but it's still offhand and the fact that that is like it is I think is because the Eternals are so different. I'm not sure what you guys think think about that um, I think that they went how do we sell more Warhammer and they decided Space Marines outsell everything in 40k. We need a Warhammer Space Marine. Yeah, I yeah. I, I think that's entirely where they went with it. And Do I think, think it was more a business decision rather than an IP decision. 
Yeah. Um, do you think they could have... There's certain things they could have done, like, just to make it... It would have still been Space Marine-like, and people still would have been able to substitute them in for Terminators, which, let's face it, they're going to do. Um, if they... If they rein things back, like... I would have like, liked to have seen more humanity in them. Yeah. yeah. And what I mean by that is, like, where you've got the corn warriors, they look like humans. They've got... Yes. You can... I don't know, they're not. They're, like, they're possessed or they're like chaos worshippers but you can see skin you can see their hands you can see their facial hair you can see like you know their jaws poking underneath their helmets they they've got boots on they look they've got you know i know they've got like straps and skulls and everything all over them but they look like warriors in armor um and they look like they're humans i would have liked to have seen the stormcast eternals look like humans that, you know, so they've got open face helms, maybe Roman-esque type helmets. Yeah. Um, they would, you know, you could even have like their armor, you could have bits of their chest showing or their legs, their thighs sort of thing. I would have liked to have seen, um, you know, them to look less like machines. Well, yeah. even if they'd have just done a Roman gladiator style, like keep the breastplates the same, keep the knee pads and sort of like the shin guards the same, have sort of like greaves on the thighs and just have them strapped on so you've got flesh behind the back of it. Yeah, and I think my biggest problem is like the greaves. They've got like in 40k, you've got in between like the thighs and the, the, the greaves and the thighs, you've got like the ribbing on the Space yeah. Marine and yeah. these are the same. But it's yeah. like cloth. Yeah. I. But how does that? How does that armor? Like how does that? And I'm not going to get too into like the Is mechanics of armor. But how does that circle bit of armor go round his thigh? It's a one piece piece of armor. It's got no seam in it. It's got no strap on it, and it it's no. There's not held on to anything. So how does it stay on his thigh? Surely that would slip down his leg and be a... I don't... Yeah, well, see, that's... If if they've been looking at... Well, I'm sure they did. But uh, if they've been taking more influence from actual suits of armor, armor rather than space marine armor at that point, they could have maintained this futuristic look, but but had a few little touches here and there, which... Um, they, they could have still which... made them look like... Like what they are, effectively, a good Chaos Warriors... So they're not warriors infused with chaos, they're warriors infused with order. That's basically what they are. I would have liked to have seen them they look like they look like warriors, not machines. They you could basically say there isn't a person in that, that's a machine. It's an empty suit of armor. You wouldn't know. Because there's nothing It could be like almost animated, you know. Mm-hmm. I know they've got like even the... even space marines have that one token dude with his head out. <laughs> like Yeah. And I think like even if you had, like, they had the full, like, faceplate helmets, I would rather the helmet look less like a face. Yep. They've so it was something a... covering a face with a face mm-hmm. under it, rather than a, um... Uh, like, if you think of, like, Hellboy 2 or something, they look like... They could be mechanical... Yeah, they look like they've got that whole Ridley Scott Gladiator esque face, haven't they? Like on a lot of them, like almost like yeah. they pre took a photo of it and went, right, what we're going to do is we're going to have like a sort of a, a guy's face and we're going to put like a lion's head over the top of it, but we're not going to give you the option of having that face plate up. It's just going to be like a 
a generic looking angry male sanguinary guard type face because even yeah. like the like Lord Celestin on Steed he's yeah. got a helmet with an open face helm I'd rather that was a human face and even if it was like a human face which was painted in like a blue grey with blue, blue glow and blue eyes I could get behind that more yeah whereas what they look like at the moment they're just, they're just like terracotta army like, yeah, they, they do a bit and I think that's that's one of the reasons why people are talking about them so much in comparison to the chaos is that they are just at like 5% too odd or, or whatever and I'd like to see more robes on them more cloth yeah um, I think everyone should go away and google Tyriel Diablo yeah and yeah exactly yeah. they should <laughs> look like that because they don't no, that's like when I heard about them and when I saw the leaked pictures, I was like Tyrael from Diablo or Diablo 2 or Diablo 3 or whatever. Um, if you go and just Google the images of that guy, that's what I was thinking of like big, heavy plates of armor. And this guy's meant to be an angel and he's got more humanity than these because um, you can't see his face, but he could have a face there. Um, oh, you can. Um, oh, can you? In some of the, yeah, he's actually got, he actually does become a human. I won't go into yeah. law, but he gives sure. up his, um, anyway. Um, but like underneath his plates, there's chainmail. He's a black sense. man as well. <laughs> Shit, diversity. Yeah. Um, like underneath his plates, he's got chainmail and stuff that would make sense, even though his armor is completely ridiculous and over the top. And that's what I was imagining. So, like the models are still brilliant, but I do with reservations would be the with reservations would probably be the um. Because I, two words I'd used to just yeah, write. and I wouldn't have minded like the, the guys with the two-handed hammers if they were like they are. Those models, I like those models. They are very heavily armored and they don't have any skin showing. Makes them but stand out. The basic guys, they just the, the hands down, the chaos models in this set piss over the Eternals. Why is no one talking about them? Well, in comparison, they're not new. Yeah, that's the only reason people talk about Stormcast Eternals because they're new. I think it's because they're new and so different from what's come before. And it's a real shame because the Chaos stuff is shit hot. It's so good. And to hear someone say, like, um, as, a, as a passing comment, oh, yeah, and these are some of the best models Games Workshop's ever made. Now back to the Stormcast Eternals, it just seems weird. Yeah, I think as well, they stuck it on White Dwarf, so everyone had, had one, didn't they? So they were like, we've got a Stormcast yeah. Eternal, it's so weird, let's paint it, let's all do this bit. Perhaps perhaps it needs someone to focus and put a spotlight on like one of those Chaos Warriors. Perhaps we should all paint one, we've all got the set. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that today. Actually, yeah. painting the some starting to paint the um, the warriors, um, and just say like, this is what you can do with this kit that everyone is bumming the stormcast guys. Perhaps we should paint the paint a chaos warrior. I, I think as well, games which want people to be bumming the stormcast guys. Hundred percent. They've they've basically they've put a stormcast outside the HQ. They've this is their new race. They've got all the new paints for them. I know you've got a flayed one flesh. We talked about that. Whatever. Um, You've got all the model releases are going to be Stormcast Eternals. All the book is focused around Stormcast Eternals. All the story is focused around them. It's like, yeah, okay. Um, I think this is kind of the only thing I'm a little bit worried about with the Warhammer fluff. Like, um, it's all a little bit like good versus evil, high fantasy. Whereas, like, in previous Warhammer... Yeah, it's very dark, but there's a lot of factions that are sort of interacting with each other. It's not like yeah. we're the bad guys, you're the good guys, and we don't like each other. 
it's like you you I mean they kind of they kind of are elements of that, but I kind of like the fact that in some of the old Games Workshop products and books and things, there's the Chaos point of view where you've even got like novels that are all focused around the Chaos tribes and they've got an alternative viewpoint, but they're not. That you know they're not they are like they're the antithesis of like the order side, but it's not like like all humans are good. No. They're not like some humans are cunts. There's the civil wars and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it's a somewhat reductive view to say good guys, bad guys. Not like here's here's the empire and half the people in it are corrupt. And um, yeah, and you've got like politics within the empire, and you've got the whole and the empire was one of the most interesting things. And you've got like you know you've got like the the, the cults within there, and you've got the you know you've got people backstabbing each other over over like sort of politics and things like that. And even within the elven societies. Um, and especially the Dark Elf Society, they're not evil. They're just different. Yeah. They, I mean, obviously they 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 do nasty things, but that's because that's acceptable for their society. But that doesn't mean they're evil. Um, they're they're anti. You know, and actually, it's sort of thing like I don't know. I just I just hope that it's they're not going to simplify it too much. That it's good versus bad. And then there's some stuff that just destroy, and then there's some stuff that just preserve, or whatever the ultimate is. If this is like a movie, the Stormcasts and Chaos seem like the two leads, as in, like, you know, the the antagonist and the protagonist. And then everything else just seems like bit players, you know? I think... A cameo. We'll have a cameo from, like, the Lizardmen. We'll have a cameo. (laughs) That's That's a good analogy. Yeah, the Lizardmen are just going to make an appearance. Yeah, we'll have a cameo from the Lizardmen because, like, you know, it's a nod to the people who had Lizardmen armies. And we'll have a cameo from, like, you know, the Alves will be sort of like a strong secondary lead. Um, and then the rest of it we're just fucking not bothered with. We might mention Bretonia. The so. Elves will turn up in the big siege at the last minute just to help yeah. out. But, like, Eagles. Yeah, it is, does feel like this is what it is. Like, these I, are actually big leads. And I then, mean, let's, let's, it's early days yet. And let's be honest, the product is all about the Stormcast Eternals fighting back chaos. So. That's the story, because chaos have basically One. got a massive foothold in all the realms, and they're fucking everything up. And Sigmar's gone. I'm going to unleash my secret weapon, which are space marines. I mean, uh, storm. Yeah, for mankind is going to release. Sorry. Um... Yeah, the god, the god emperor. He's actually referred to as the god emperor in the, the, in emperor. the book. Yeah, he's going to create hundred. They've they've said that he's not the the god king, but the god emperor or something like that. I can't. Remember. The God Warrior. No, maybe he's called the God King. Sorry, not God Emperor. It's the same fucking thing. I I just think it's a little bit lazy. Yeah, it's harder to get behind slightly. I think that's the issue. They've um, into their the forty k universe. I think coming there, and that's what what's happening. Yeah, little. but even forty k is way more interesting than what this is at the moment. But yeah, but it's the first step on the story. Yeah. I mean, being sort of like you know. Devil's Advocate and stuff. No, no, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, but I'm just worried that how they're going to evolve it is the the question, really. I'm I'm interested to see what happens now because I mean, let, let's face facts. Like the Stormcasts are really cool, and they've got like a lot of different elements and stuff. And it'll be interesting to see what they do with the next big thing. Like you know, be it like the forces of destruction, orcs, ogres, and stuff like that. How are they going to? Because they can't. If they're going to replace the Rangers, and they're going to change the game. How are they going to do that? You know, how are they going to? How are they, I mean, looking at the Stormcast and how sort of like you know their armor is very sort of like ornate. You can imagine the Alves are going to be quite ornate. So there's three different styles of Alves, isn't there? There's like you know wanderers, exiles, and 
the other one, High Elves. Um, the other uh, one? The other one, the one that I don't play. Um, <laughs> so, the one that Byron does. You know, and like, how are they going to do that? How are they going to work Skaven? Skaven are going to be sort of like mad, sort of steampunk stuff. And like, Well, what? they already have started that with the... Just, I think Skaven aren't going to change massively. No. There's going to be more machinery-based. They're brilliant models, brilliant IP, unique. They don't need to go, like, mad on Skaven. The the thing is, in the book, there's lots of model pictures of Vampire Count Undead. Yeah. Lots of pictures of um, ogres, giants, tree spirits, and um, Skaven, and Chaos, and Celeste, and... Um, Stormcast Eternals. What you don't see a lot in the book is the dwarfs, which I think are going to change hugely. Massively. I think they're going to be really cool. I'm really excited to see what they're doing with them. I can imagine so Jim's going to cry. The elves, there's no elves in there. No. At all. So the elves and the dwarfs, I think, are going to get completely overhauled. And I'm not surprised because they are the most Tolkien esque things in Warhammer. Yeah. Um, those two things. The Empire, the humans, they're not really in it. They're in it a little bit, but they're going to get a redesign, I'd imagine, because you're going to move away from the Germanic, frilly shirt, classic, historical look, because obviously that means that people can't use historical models to represent them. And I think that's probably why the Tomb King Undead stuff's going to sort of fall to the wayside a bit, because it's got a very Egyptian theme. Um, and Orcs is the other thing you don't see. You see yeah. some goblins... But you see some artwork of orcs, and they look classic GW, but I don't know what they're going to do. I hope what they do with the orcs, they make them more serious, and yeah, less a, cartoony, and less there's, jokey. There's a couple of ways to go here, though. Like, you need to make yourself really distinct, but also those fantasy tropes of classics for a reason, and if they're what pull people in, you still need to maintain a certain degree of that. Yeah, that element. I too. think I think the dwarfs have been out of place in the Warhammer world for quite a long time, though. Yeah. I actually really like all the elf stuff, and I hopefully they'll look very similar. But the looking at the dwarf stuff from the artwork and the like, the slayers and stuff, the flaming Duradin or whatever they're called. I think dwarves could quite possibly be, if they do it correctly, they could be a big big seller for them. Because yeah, everyone loves so. dwarves. Everyone loves dwarves. They are very, people say they, I mean, I say everyone loves dwarves. They hate them, but they also. They don't hate the background, they just hate the way they play. Playing them. Yeah. Like, I've always liked dwarves, like, as in, like, the models and stuff. The, the background. Slayers, they're awesome. Yeah. So much really distinct, cool stuff about them that they've kind of forged for themselves from the generic dwarf stereotype of people who live in mountains like they've they've pushed that um, with like the engineering guilds and the slayers and all that jazz that it seems a shame not to make more of it yeah I think that well I mean we're all speculating on this really massively but of course um, I think we're hopeful for what could happen but at the same time I, I feel like I want it now basically I feel a little bit like I'm on a 56k modem and I'm downloading a pornographic picture and it's loading very slowly. And you can see the top of red. And then it's like, is it going to keep going down and I'll see, like, oh, I can see the tits now, great. And then when it gets down to, like, the uh, the money shot area, am I going to see a nice 
a nice a nice pussy or I'm going to see a big donkey dick. I don't know. <laughs> so I think um, I at think that point I would have like turned it off. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you don't know until that 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 fit line of of picture downloads, do you? Um, I I don't know. I I just this is not enough coming out about the game and, and like what what they're doing. And I just I'd just like to know before I I waste my time, basically. Um, and money. Yeah, it's, it's more like, what do I focus on, and can I get behind it, basically? Yeah, I completely so, get that, and I think that's if it. The appeal of being able to do a load of new armies that I've never been able to do before on a little scale is one of the major things keeping me in currently. How long that can sustain it is that's going to be dependent on what else happens. Because it's like you can't. I can't even start building armies now because I don't know how much of the old look and the old stuff is going to be relevant, or how they're going to be based, or you know. Because so, like the whole reason I'm doing the Stormcaster is that yeah, because you know that's not yeah, changing. I'm, I'm, <laughs> and I was just like, right, well, I might as well just paint this, and then even if I don't really like it, you know, I've got it. It's, you it's know, at least relevant. Because I've got a load of Tomb King stuff that's half done, my new stuff, and it's like, do I rebase it, do I paint it, do I get it finished for Clash? But then what happens in six months' time when all the death stuff's out and the, the Tomb Kings just don't exist? It's like, is it worth me putting the time in over the next six weeks just for one event? Yeah. And it's like, is it all going to be like VC, classic undead stuff? But then that's kind of weird, because if they want to move their IP in a unique direction, that that's not really unique, is it? You've got to cut, you've got to keep some stuff at least as close enough to classic that it will draw people in there. Mm. So it's very hard to gauge exactly where they're making things legally distinct will will end, I think, anyway. Yeah, but I just yeah, but I'm I'm still in at the moment, but I'm not 100% sold. On what what's happening, so. But I think we could talk for ages just the same things that we go on and on about. But I think we've had an insight there from a retailer, and and we've talked about our thoughts and feelings. And I know there's a lot of probably a lot of overlap from the last show, but it's still relevant stuff that hopefully, you know, it's it's echoing the thoughts of listeners out there. What we would say as well, if people have got strong thoughts or opinions, um, and you want to just send an email in, um, we can. Um, We'll have a look. We do check our well. Now that we've we've actually got access to it, we do check our emails, and that'll bring me on a nice segue to talk about Mark Wilson's email, where he basically talks about um, he sent a mail in. It's a long time ago. It, it's in April, but basically says it's he really enjoys the podcasts and um, says it's uh, top content and likes to listen to the tactical aspect of gameplay. Uh, he describes it as the bollocks. Um, to, to me, then, it's to you. Is yeah, that well, basically, yeah. And, and he sees the length of the shows is great, and there's a commuter he likes to listen to it. So basically, thanks, Mark. Hopefully, you continue to listen, and hopefully, when we're hopefully more you're involved, still playing Warhammer. Yeah, maybe, maybe you've game. quit, and yeah. But if you, um, if you are playing Age of Sigma, hopefully, we can give you that tactical insight into the game as we play more of it. And, uh, I'm sure we'll do a full Clash review when we've been there and talk about our lists and things like that. So hopefully we can breed a little bit of life into the product if uh, Games Workshop aren't going to do it themselves. So uh, there you go. 
but yeah, if you've got any comments, email us uh, or tweet us. Um, if you want to take a picture of yourself wearing your um, combat gauge, feel free to tweet us, but nothing rude, please. Um, you know, um, I'd rather you had your clothes on for that picture. <laughs> uh, but there you go. Um, and also, reminder about our competition. Um, I'm not, and just to give a bit of clarity on this, don't just enter some shit. Because um, I'm not just going to give the set away for nothing. Um, basically what I'd like is people to design like a website logo or or like a banner. And what I mean by a banner is like the face hammer logo header for the website or um, maybe a cool t-shirt design that could be made into a t-shirt and people would actually want to wear. Um, it doesn't have to be, rather it was more around like the actual face hammer name and a logo rather than a jokey comment we made on the show, but that could feature. Um, we've had a couple entries, but they've been pretty mediocre. Um, so I'd like to see some more in, and we'll want to select a, a winner in in, eight, uh, in August. Um, but hopefully, people can submit some stuff. So yeah, just send that in to us or for our email account, which is Twitter at facehammer.co.uk, um, or you can DM us on Twitter if you want to ask us a few bit more if you want to bit ask us a few questions about what we'd like uh before you do it then you can tweet us or email us and we'll get back to you um yeah so basically we will if we select something that we think is good and we're going to put it on our website or we'll use it then that will put you in the running for the box set basically um if we don't get anything we're not just going to give it to one of the entries so yeah there you go it's wide open there you go have fun. 